Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, Matrix, that one was done. First first one of the month, done. And I thought it was a a great episode. Our longest episode, I think. Our longest episode to date. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it had to be done for the Matrix. And there's... On top of everything we talked about, there's still so much we could have talked about. We talked about a drop in the bucket when it comes to that movie. Mm-hmm. I think you could teach a college course on The Matrix. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, The Matrix actually has a new opponent as pot- as potentially longest episode <laughs> for this week. Because we love to to just drown, our, drown ourselves in movies. And this is a big one. A huge one. What is this week's movie, Austin? This week's movie is The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. A classic, a banger. The first movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Well, the live action trilogy. Yeah. It's not the first Lord of the Rings movie. (laughs) Well, they had the Hobbit, the animated Hobbit, right? Yeah. But that's, uh, did they ever make animated movies of these films, of the stories, the Fellowship, Two Towers? Um, I think. I I thought that Ralph Bakshi had a an animated movie. Okay, I do know about the Hobbit. I think I've seen part of it. Uh, I'm not too familiar. So, just a disclosure: I'm not too familiar with Lord of the Rings as from the books. Um, yes, I I have tr- I tried to read the Hobbit, and my uh, 14 year old brain was like, "This is boring. <laughs> I don't like this." Yeah, when it comes to fantasy. I can't really read it. It's too, there's too much. I think the problem that I have is just trying to figure out what the world looks like, like the geography, how far are these certain places and just trying to remember people, you know, like, yeah, I am Gilfi from father, son of Elrond, cousin to Matthias of thy, <laughs> I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, I get it. It, it. Like, it seems genuine and authentic, but I'm like, you're naming a bunch of names that I don't give a shit about. Like, just Gilfie's your name. Let's just go with that. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I think some of the issue for me was, like, the, I I remember uh, Tolkien describing the leaves on the trees. And I'm like, is this important at all? I And I barely got to the trolls. That's where I stopped reading the books. <laughs> yeah, I... I didn't have patience. I didn't have enough patience for these books. I haven't tried reading them since. I haven't. Maybe I should because I'm a- I might listen to it if it's on on, on tape in on quotes, audible. but on Audible. But I, I we've got too many episodes to do, dude. I can't be bothered to read The Hobbit. Are you joking? <laughs> yeah, you know what? You are right. There are way too many movies to watch. That it's just like you know what? I'm sorry, man. You know, I I get the gist. You know, yeah, I'm I'm not going to say those books are bad. I would never say that. I just no. it's not my thing. I don't <laughs> same, you know, and and hey, 
at least these movies are really, really good. <laughs> yeah. And I know book readers will be like, well, you, you missed so many details. Like, man, sometimes we don't need details. Sometimes, <laughs> you know what? If you if you go to the, the Lou in Paris and you look at the Mona Lisa from far away, you still saw the Mona Lisa. So. <laughs> That's I, not the same. <laughs> I, I remember watching this movie in theaters. I loved this movie as a kid. I saw it in theaters, I think opening weekend. Loved it. Blew my mind. Um, and the ending to this movie pissed me the fuck off. I remember <laughs> being confused and angry. I unfortunately did not see this movie in theaters. I you But didn't. we saw it like really, really early on um, after its DVD release. And like you could rent oh. movies from Hollywood Video or Blockbuster. And we saw it as a family. Had popcorn and everything. Still good experience. And I remember the the music coming in the and like the the prologue scene about the mm. seven rings were given to man and four to the elves and all that. This is why you have exposition, people, because even as a how old was I? As like an eight, nine year old, I guess. And I understood exactly what was happening. I read no books, but because of that prologue, I was like, boom, got it. Ring bad. Bad guy, bad. <laughs> Whoever has the ring is fucked. I got it. That's uh, why but, you have exposition. We we went yeah. on a whole thing about exposition in The Matrix. If you hate exposition, we'll fuck off. Then you just don't like stories because exposition is necessary for storytelling. Yes. And there's a way you can do it poorly, which yes. makes people think that they hate exposition. But there's a way you can do it that's really good, which is what The Matrix does and what's what, what this movie does as well. Absolutely. Because uh, I remember that exposition. But there was something about that prologue that confused me as a kid. And I remember uh, having to like rewind the DVD over and over again because I feel like there's something I missed. What does this ring do? I don't get it. And then I don't even know if I, I figured that out. <laughs> well, I just know it has power. So I, don't I guess think... you can interpret it as a metaphor for power. I think it's a mystery. Like what the what is the power of the ring? Because you know that this you know Sauron, this big bad motherfucker, has it, and it's a it's a hugely important thing. But what does it do? Especially if you haven't read the books, you don't know. It's a big mystery. So when the ring goes in the air and it kind of slips perfectly in Frodo's hand, and he disappears, it's kind of like a shock. You're like, oh shit. Okay, so this ring isn't that bad. You know, that's 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 how I remember it as a kid. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this ring's badass. It makes you invisible. Fuck, fuck out of here. She like, I'd use this ring all the time. But at the same time, like, how is that going to help you rule the world? I don't understand. Make you invisible. Yeah. Man, Austin, do you know how badly I would fuck with you if I was invisible? Now imagine me doing that, having that easy access to everyone on the planet. Man, does I it would... prevent people from being able to kill you? No, he gets with stabbed. Your loud ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be fucking with you, ha <laughs> ha, Austin. And then you 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 throw something at me. <laughs> You're right. That prologue is fantastic. It sets up the pieces, but it still leaves some things in mystery. Like, what does the ring do? Why the why the hoopla for this ring? Yeah, I remember this vividly in theaters. I I know what we where we saw it at too is the Bianchi and. I guess because I was just so small, the movie, the, the movie theater screen just felt so huge. So when I was watching it, it really felt like this all consuming image, you know, like I was mm -hmm. really in this world. And then when the ending comes around, 
I was pissed because walking into Lord of the Rings, I didn't know what this was. I had no idea it was an action fantasy adventure story. My parents, they would just take us to the movies and we'd just go in like, all right, we're watching a movie. <laughs> no idea the premise. No idea that these were books. Nothing. I had no nothing. So at the very end, which spoilers, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, go watch Lord of the Rings. If you haven't seen this movie, go fucking watch it. It's I like, believe it is on HBO Max and it is you can watch on Amazon, I'm assuming, because they bought all the rights to make their show. The most yeah. expensive show in television history. <laughs> Let's see how good it is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, at the very end of this one, when it ends kind of on a cliffhanger with the fellowship being torn apart and our heroes not completing their journey i was like what the fuck yeah i didn't know that there were going to be two more films i thought this was the end and i was i was worried i'm like oh my god are we ever going to see these movies how long is it going to take and thankfully i only waited a year yeah i i don't know why people complain about cliffhangers i i love cliffhangers and the more the the more successful the cliffhanger i think the more that you like care about the story, the more the story has got you. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I think I th that's why like Empire works. Empire Strikes Back works so good because like some part of you expects Luke to defeat Darth Vader, but like you know there's gonna be a third one, so it's like, well, um, why are they fighting now? Oh shit! What? <laughs> well, so I guess I was kind of prepared in some some way to accept the ending of of this Lord of the Rings movie. My only issue with cliffhangers is just not knowing if a follow-up film is going to be made, you know, because if you're not like with Dune part one, you know, Dune just released, just came out this year in October. Uh, they didn't greenlight a sequel until they, until the first one was released and they saw how successful it was. Do you imagine the blue balls that you'd have if Dune part one ends the way it did and they never make a second one? You're like, what the fuck? Why'd you even? Okay. I guess like I, I love the ending. I just wish Warner Brothers had committed to making a second one that way. Well, you're asking them to commit, what, $200 million on something that they're not sure people will even watch. Yeah, but if that's the case, then don't make a cliffhanger. Eh, I don't I don't mind it. I mean, I don't mind it with Lord of Rings now because they were they filmed these back to back. Oh. It wasn't that they just made one, saw how it did, and then made the two other ones. They were like, we're making all three of these. We're committed. And I believe they shot all three of these back to back, or they at least filmed one in the, the second and the third one back to back. Um, Which to listeners who don't know, filming back to back just means normally you have your script for your first film. You film all of that. And then... Once it's released, you start working on the second script for the sequel, and then you film that sequel. When you film back-to-back, -back, that's not how it really works. You have the script for both films, and then you plan to film all of them, all everything, and then you edit it consecutively. So you edit the first film. It's released in theaters. When While it's in theaters, you edit the second one. So you don't have to write, film, edit, write, film, edit. You write, film, and edit all from the get-go which is a huge process. That is a huge commitment. Billions it's a huge of commitment. It's a very risky commitment too. Um, and, you know, films that don't make money is not good for the studio. It's like, well, then why did we 
spend all this money. Yeah. So I, I think sometimes when you see cliffhangers in movies or maybe more specifically cliffhangers in TV shows, it's a way of testing. It's a way of like trying to um, force the studio to green light your sequel because look, all these people want to see what happens and they're like, fine, we'll give, we'll, we'll fund the next thing. Um, so um, I, I, okay. I think sometimes it, it can be frustrating as an audience to have that thing that you like not be resolved but it's i i think it's the nature of the game that's a good point absolutely when you put it that way yeah because if you have a cliffhanger and it really grabs people it'll incentivize studios to make a follow-up but if people don't bite and they cancel the franchise or the tv show your last impression is of a cliffhanger that's net that might not be resolved um i think uh twin peaks it's kind of mm-hmm. that it, Twin Peaks is, is that example. Thankfully, David Lynch had the chance to return recently. But how long did it take? It's funny. There's a, a line in the show where where uh, Laura Palmer says, I'll see you again in 25 years. And then 25 years passes. And then Twin Peaks season three comes out. Ooh. But anyway, Lord yeah. of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I was, as a kid, I was blue balled as hell. I was like, what the hell? Because I, I didn't know there was a, a second one. I didn't know that there was a continuation. I expected him to deal with the ring in that film. Um, And that ending fucked me up for weeks. It's all I was thinking about. All I was thinking about. And when I heard that they were making a sequel, I was happy. I was excited. Um huge impression huge impression on, on me as a kid and uh even as a grown-up i saw these movies i saw three of them uh four years ago i think five years wow. the extended editions all in like one sitting jesus they're incredible just the story the filmmaking this is fantasy stories at like the the highest tier i yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people's first exposure to uh, fantastical characters like dwarves and elves and orcs, I, wizards. I think it all kind of comes from Lord of the Rings. I don't think that uh, Tolkien is the first person to write about elves and, and all this stuff, but I, I think it's a, a point of reference that mm-hmm. a lot of fantasy things come from. I can't imagine um, uh, what's the George R. R. Martin coming up with Game of Thrones without reading Lord of the Rings, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not too big on the book scene, so I can't really say too much. But I mean, it if the shoe fits, you know, I'd be surprised. Also, I think as as a kid, I I don't know if I've ever seen elves and dwarves and stuff before Lord of the Rings. We might have. I definitely did because I saw the Disney film, The Black Cauldron, which has some Ah, really strong, which has some really strong fantasy elements to it. I feel like I've also seen other fantasy stuff. Like Fern Gully, I believe. I I believe there's some fantasy elements to that. Um, but like with but, elves and and dwarves and stuff. I, outside of Black Cauldron, I can't remember right now. But I feel like I might have seen something. I don't think this was the first film for me to. I don't think Lord of the Rings is the first film I saw dwarves and elves in. Um, maybe some Disney animated film or something. But I think this film for me was the definitive version of it. So when I thought of yeah, yeah, elves yeah. and uh, elves and dwarves and stuff, you How know, can you not think of, of Legolas or Orlando Bloom sliding down that the staircase with on that shield? 
Exactly. <laughs> it's this is that frame of reference, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like how a lot of people when they think of science fiction, they'll think of Star Wars. Yeah. I know hardcore sci-fi people and hardcore fantasy people will be like, well, actually, but well, actually, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit. Like, I didn't tell my dad to read to me fucking Dune as a child. We watched Star Wars together, and that's that, okay? <laughs> uh, how, how did you feel about the movie as a kid? Oh, as, as a kid, I really liked the, the first movie. I liked... I think the second one might be my favorite, but, you know, the first one is where it all started. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the orcs were scary. Yeah. There's a sense of, like, all these, like, friends, they've been bonded on this journey, and then they all go their separate ways. Yeah. As a kid, it's like, you think you're going to be with your friends forever, but that's not the case. That's that's actually rarely the case, I think. So I think it has, like, a really cool teaching moment. And Gandalf, the wizard... He gets like taken out by the Balrog and it's like, he's going to come back, but he doesn't come back in the first movie. <laughs> I was like expecting him to come back and then he doesn't like, yo, is he actually dead, dead? What? Uh, dude. No, I absolutely agree with that point. 100%. This movie was like a reality check almost, you know, because I was depressed that the fact that they all get separated. Yeah. I was like, I, I like them all together. I, I mm-hmm. thought they were all great. Now, what is Frodo and Sam going to do? They're not as great as Legolas and Aragorn. Like, and then Gandalf gets killed. He gets whacked. <laughs> I was like, how do you kill Gandalf? Like, you, it's like when they kill Obi-Wan, huh? Yeah. You're just like, <laughs> oh, shit just, the shit just hit the fan. As a kid, that was very depressing because we love Gandalf. We love all these characters and we like Frodo. But even as a kid, I was like, he's kind of a bitch. Like, just, I'm like, sorry. What is, but, what is he going to do against an orc? Like, what is Sam going to do? <laughs> yeah. Are, they're just going to run away. And honestly, they can't even run that fast compared to like orcs. <laughs> they, they got little legs. They're big so feet. screwed. I, I remember thinking that as a movie, like, they are fucked. There is yes. no way that they're going to make it by themselves. It's and the boy, ultimate, like, underdog story. Yeah, I remember like because you expect at the end for everything to be resolved. But like even by the third one, I was like, are they are they going to do it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, especially with Gollum there, um, who's not in this film. Yeah, we, but, could, we could save all that for when we cover the next ones. Yeah, absolutely. We are definitely coming back. Got him. Um, yeah. But, and and Dylan did convince me to give the extended editions a chance. Um, so. I, I will be watching that one and during the break. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely I recommend the extended edition. Normally, uh, I like watching the one like the one canonically, the, yeah. the, can, the canon. But uh, Lord of the Rings, the extended edition almost feels like the canon version of it because it's a bit more detailed and it doesn't feel that long. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. it's long. But it doesn't feel padded out. It feels like all the elements in in it. And we can talk about the differences in the break, too. And like whether or not we think because I never I've never seen it. So never seen the extended extended edition. So I think when we come back, we can talk about the differences between the two and talk about why which one is better and why the, the theatrical one was the way it was. Absolutely. Yeah, 100 percent. So we have positive feelings about this movie uh what did people in general think according to the box office of 2001 the number one movie of the year 
is an old friend. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. You're a wizard, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. Uh, then Shrek, Monsters, Inc., Rush Hour 2. And then the fifth at the international box, the worldwide box office was Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And then The Mummy Returns, Pearl Harbor, Jurassic Park 3, Planet of the Apes, and Hannibal. So I love a lot of those movies. But there ain't no way this movie should be number five. I, I, lo- I mean, okay. domestically, it did worse. It was uh, number nine, I think. Number ten. Sorry. Number ten? Mm-hmm. What was the number one film? Harry Potter? Yep. Yeah. Well, um, look, I love Harry Potter. I have some beef with it, but I still think it deserved the praise that it got. I, it's, a, it's a very well-made movie. So it being number one. Hey, like totally cool with that. No worries. But Rush Hour 2 over Lord of the Rings. I love Rush Hour. I love those movies. Like the third one's not that great. I'm still with it. But there ain't no way that they deserve to beat the Lord of the Rings. Even like Shrek. I'm sorry. I know people I mean, like there Shrek. Is, there is a, a th- something to, to uh, think about when it comes to these releases is that Lord of the Rings came out in December of 2001. So if you do the math and give Lord of the Rings a fair chance in its initial release, it was actually number two, oh, just okay. behind Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So maybe that the numbers I the order I described before was is inaccurate because oh, it, okay. it made a lot of its money in you know the the week or two it was in two thousand one, but the next year, with everything together domestically, it made three hundred and thirteen million at the box office domestically domestically yeah and then the next one after that was shrek with 267 yeah okay that makes way more sense that totally okay came out in december you're right um and as a whole this movie made 897 million that's incredible just shy of a billion yeah who who would have thought that a movie with like dwarves and elves and and shit shit that that like you'd get made fun of in a uh, 70s high school TV show or a show that's set in the 70s. You get made fun of for playing a game with elves and dwarves and wizards would be a billion dollar film franchise. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny how nerds are kind of validated like the longer this. I mean, you know, a, a bunch of people who were into Dungeons and Dragons, I'm sure were into Lord of the Rings and then pe- they got made fun of. Oh, look at this dwarf loser. And it's like, yeah, well, Lord of the Rings is a billion dollar franchise. And you know what else is Marvel? So comic fuck books. you guys. Comic yeah. books. So fuck you. <laughs> Sorry. I love Dungeons and Dragons. It's so fun. It's cool. It's fun. It's cool. Ner- nerds shouldn't gatekeep. I'm against that. But you know what? Screw the jocks who said that we were losers <laughs> for liking this shit. Yeah. But anyway. <sighs> uh, yeah, so this movie just made shy of a billion. Uh, it was reviewed incredibly well. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 236 critics. Right? 236 critics. And it, got a, it has a 92%. Imagine taking 236 tests in school. And getting an average of B plus, A minus. That's pretty fucking good. Uh, and a 95 with audiences. So people love this movie. As they should. It's a great film. Great cast. Great effects. Um, well, well, we'll see about that. Because, you I know. I don't like the effects in the third one. I think Return the third the one. 
Yeah, the third one was like, that's not a real elephant. You're not going to convince me for one second that that's a real elephant. <laughs> we'd, we'd have to go back and revisit it. I didn't have a problem with it when I rewatched it, but that was four years ago. I wasn't looking at it with a critical eye. We saw Harry Potter. Some of the effects were kind of janky. The writing of the broom. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, but again, not going to shit on the VFX artist, but some things just don't age well. We're, we'll see how much, how many of the effects have aged well here. I do know that they did a lot of stuff practically. So I'm mm -hmm. assuming that we're going to be able to tell what was practical and what was visual effects. I'm guessing. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Yeah, a lot of really interesting perspective stuff because the the hobbits are supposed to be like really short and they didn't cast uh, little people to to be the hobbits. They casted Elijah Wood and, and Sean Ast Sean Aston or Austin. Austin, I believe. They, they're not little people. Yeah. And he casted alongside Ian McKellen. Who isn't who, as tall as Gandalf should be. Right. But they, they find a way to film it so that it looks like they're shorter than they actually are. And Gandalf is much bigger than he actually is. Which is incredible when you have to break down every single shot. It's like, all right, how are we going to sell the sizes of each of these characters? That's incredible. That takes so much thought. I, I appreciate it. That that alone is worth watching enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I'm I'm really I'm excited to rewatch. I'm this. excited as well. Yeah, uh, and we have a special guest again for this episode, and she's she. You say that she's like really into this franchise. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, I I remember because she also our, our guest is Becky, so uh, an old coworker. Um, and she, you, she, she just like uh, casting for like esports stuff now, and uh, UCI alum as well. Yes, that's true. Uh, and she also, I don't think she does much anymore, but she used to stream. And I remember she had like a highlight clipped, like fifteen minutes, just talking about Lord of the Rings. Like I don't, I think she was like she was playing Mario Kart or something, and she was just talking about Lord of the Rings for like fifteen minutes straight. <laughs> so i'm like oh this is she seems like an expert on lord of the rings i should keep that in mind and she's oh. agreed to come on and talk about the fellowship of the ring with us so you're you're in for a great episode tons of knowledge about this movie it's gonna be great this is a great movie so watch it along with us and we're gonna bring in an expert as well another another banger another banger for retrograde what are some things that you want to do to to ask becky about uh, Lord of the Rings. I think more, I think what interests me is the perspective stuff, you know, with the, with the heights. Cause I remember there was a clip where they showed how they filmed Gandalf and uh, Frodo at the table eating. Right. And how they had like the seats were at automated as the camera was automated. The, the table were the actors were moving as the camera were, was moving. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I was like, wow, that's incredible. How did they achieve that for the entire film? That's what I'm really <laughs> curious. Was Ian McKellen on stilts? I don't know. I'm really curious to see the... We we talked about this a little bit earlier. Was this movie greenlit first and then the sequels? Or were they all greenlit at once and all filmed back to back? Because I know some of them were filmed back to back. I think it was two and three. I don't know about this first one. I, those are the two things that I'm really curious. The making of and... The, the making of this film, both from a studio perspective and from a filmmaking perspective. I'm kind of curious about the stuff in 
in the like the the rules of this Lord of the Rings world, what's the deal with the those ring rates? Like, how did they? Where did they come from? Oh, I, I know that I it's something to do with, with with the rings and stuff. What happened to the rest of the rings? Mm. I don't know. There's there's some stuff in this in the, in the world that I still don't really understand. Um, that I kind of want to understand and see if it changes how I see the movie. Okay, that's... I still enjoy this movie, even though I don't have the answers to those questions. I don't think that it affects my um, love for these movies, but it is something I've always wanted to know. That's a good point. Um, you know, it very rarely will we understand the complete scope of all these movies and stuff. And we go back and try to learn a little bit more. Maybe I never figured out what the rates were. I know that they were oh, actually, I can't even remember. I don't know. And what does the freaking ring do? Like makes you invisible. So what? Why are we fighting wars over this? <laughs> Give me an invisible ring. This world is done for. Unless you can hear me, unless you have really good hearing, which we can, we will we will be able to hear you. <laughs> All right, I think that's I think that's it. All right, so uh, we will see you in one minute. This is it. This is what. If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we have just finished watching The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the first Lord of the Rings movie in the Peter Jackson trilogy. And I watched the extended edition for the first time. Uh, I decided to watch the theatrical cut because I kind of found something out uh, <laughs> when I was watching yeah. the movie. But I'll, I'll explain in a second. And this week we have a special guest, Becky Crayo. Welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, what movie, what version of the film did you watch? Uh, this time I watched the extended edition. Um, it's, uh, I've watched a theatrical cut more times than I can count. <laughs> so I figured it was better to review all of the footage this time, just in case. Okay, cool. What's your relationship with Lord of the Rings before we get into the movie? Um, Lord of the Rings is my favorite movie of all time. I have a tattoo of the Shards of Narsil on my leg. Um, it's the movie that made me want to work in film and television production because I loved the movie so much and I just wanted more of what those movies had given me that I read like all of the behind the scenes books and I was like, oh, they had all these people here that actually made the film and mm -hmm. they like made all these miniatures and forged all these weapons and, you know, made all these prosthetics to put these orcs in and stuff like that. It was like that stuff. I want to do that with my life. <laughs> So I I say that Lord of the Rings is the reason I work in the film and television industry. Awesome. Well, did you read the the books too? I did. Um, when I was younger, it's been probably fifteen years since I read them. Um, so I'm not as knowledgeable in the the book lore as I am in the movies themselves. So you you watch the movies first, and then you read the books later. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, my dad took me to see the films in theater, the first two, I should say. Um, and then my mom actually took me to the third one because that's when I was just like all in. And I was like, <laughs> I want to go see this. I want to go see this at midnight. And thankfully, I was going to get my braces tightened the next day and was going to be late to school anyway. So my mom's like, yeah, I'll take you. And she just slept through it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like your first midnight film? I think I saw all seven Harry Potters at midnight, oh. um, including the first one. My One of my childhood uh, best friends, his mom was a huge Harry Potter fan, too. And so she found this like random theater in the middle of Pennsylvania and drove us out there so we could go see it at midnight. And I think that might have been the first one. I forget if that came. I think that came out in 2001, if I remember correctly. No, yeah, so it came out the same year as this one. It's really weird. You had Harry Potter come out in November of 2001. And then a month later, you have Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. That's insane. We've, Two bangers yeah. month to month, <laughs> back to back. Yeah, we really got lucky if you were a fantasy fan growing up oh then. Oh my God. And another thing that I realized, so last week we talked about The Matrix. That came out in 99. Then, you know, these next two, th- these next films that we talked about, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter came out in 2001. Like, there was just something about the early 2000s that was like hitting really well. You, you know, it's like I, nerds are cool. What? <laughs> what nerds go to the movies? They're willing to pay to watch this stuff. Shit, let's exploit them. <laughs> let's get some. You're not wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, but um, okay, that's really cool. So you've seen all the films, you've read all the books, and this is your favorite movie. So which is your favorite of the three? I'm just curious. Uh, the Two Towers. Easy. Okay, Two Towers. Same. Oh, uh, the movie. Well, Battle of Isengard. Ooh. You can't beat that. Helm's You're Deep. Not, sorry. Oh, my God. The Battle of Helm's Deep. I was so <gasps> like, I watched the movie today and that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. I I already have like lost my entire credentials. <laughs> like we're like five minutes in. It's like, no, nah, she's not a real fan. Um, Someone's like, well, actually. <laughs> I love I love the second one, too. That's my favorite one. Why do you why do you like the second one the most? Uh, I, I think the way they set the stakes up for that battle at the end. And I liked uh, this, I guess, the side quest, I guess. It's actually the main quest of Frodo, Sam and Gollum. I liked their their like relationship as the movie went on. Uh, but that that battle sequence and then when everything's going to shit, you have Gandalf the White coming over the mountains. Oh, it's 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 great. I love it. Oh, the song too. The song, Gollum song. Oh yeah, gives me chills. The music of Lord of the Rings is just out of this world spectacular. The composer had like so much time because it was like that's one of the best things about Lord of the Rings. Um, and a lot of times I'll say Lord of the Rings because I like it's really in my mind it's hard to separate the three movies. I know we're just talking about Fellowship today for the most part, mm-hmm. um, but the composer Howard Shore had so much lead time because these movies actually had like five years of pre-production, which is why they ha- were able to make so many like miniatures and like practical effects. And I think that's one of the mm. reasons that this film holds up so well, even 20 years later. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so for anybody who hasn't seen Lord of the Rings, you can watch it on HBO Max. But if you don't have HBO Max right now, if you're like driving, we like to do a two minute summary of the movie uh, before we get into like all the, the meat of it and tell everybody what we think. Uh, so since you're our guest and Lord of the Rings is your favorite movie, do you think that you can do a two minute summary? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so uh, the Fellowship of the Ring starts with some expository backstory. Um, <laughs> I mean... J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, wrote this 
incredibly detailed world. So there's a lot of story that comes before we get to the fellowship. Uh, so you have Galadriel doing a voiceover that kind of explains the forging of the rings, um, the nine rings that went to the men, the seven rings that went to the dwarves, um, the three rings that went to the elves, and the one ring, uh, the ring of power, and how uh, there was this battle. Isildur was able to defeat Sauron because Sauron is this big evil in the world of Middle-earth, and Isildur kind of uh, doesn't destroy the ring when he should. And so uh, the ring kind of like bounces around. Gollum gets it for a little bit. It disappears for a while. Bilbo gets his hands on it, um, who is a hobbit. And uh, then we're introduced to the world of the hobbits and the Shire and kind of their way of life. Bilbo gives the ring to Frodo. And that's when we kind of start on this journey to destroy the ring. Gandalf is a wizard that kind of helps him on this quest. Uh, and he also has his other hobbits with him, Samwise Gamgee. Peregrine Took or Pippin and Mary Doc Brandebuck or Mary, and they set off to go to Rivendell. They meet Strider along the way, who is this ranger. It's kind of this dude that just kind of goes around Middle Earth trying to do the right thing. Uh, and then they get to Rivendell. Um, they fight with some ringmates along the way who are kind of the lords of evil for Sauron. We also meet some other elves. We meet Arwen uh, in Rivendell. That's kind of where we meet some other people. They have this council of Elrond. They decide, like, this ring is too powerful. No one person should have it. It needs to go to Mordor, get tossed into the fires of Mount Doom and destroyed. Frodo volunteers to take it. It's kind of explained that uh, later in the movie that he's basically fated to take it. Uh, Gandalf tells him, like, the ring chose Gollum, the ring chose Bilbo, so the ring chose Frodo. They give the ring a lot of agency. Yeah, it talks to them at some point. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that's where they also get their other companions. Um, you get Legolas. You find out that Strider is actually Aragorn, who is the heir of Isildur. He's actually the heir to the throne of Gondor, which is a realm of men in another part of Middle-earth. We have Boromir, who is an another man. Um, Gimli, son of Gloin, who is a dwarf. And then you have Gandalf as well. So you have the nine of them that set out on their fellowship. Uh, they kind of go through... This is a much longer than two-minute summary. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> They find out that another wizard, Saruman, has uh, decided he's going to be evil. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it almost feels like when I was rewatching it today, it's like, he doesn't really give a reason other than like, you know, power. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's like, this is easier. <laughs> We're going to lose anyway. The Fellowship sets out. They make their way to, um, well, they are working towards getting to Mordor. Uh, they end up going over these mountains. There's a bunch of snow and Saruman like almost covers them in an avalanche. So they have to go under the mountain. They end up in the mines of Moria, uh, which is supposed to be uh, Gimli's cousin Balin lives there. If you've watched The Hobbit, you kind of got some of that backstory. Uh, turns out everyone's dead. Spoiler. Because of goblins and a Balrog. And then um, the Balrog kills Gandalf, which is a very sad part of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. But they make it out of the mines, they keep going, they end up at uh, Lothlorien, which is another realm of the elves, that's where we meet Galadriel, she's one of the high elves, she's actually one of the um, elves that has one of the three rings of power that the elves received, she kind of gives them a safe harbor for a second, she helps them continue on their journey, gives them a few cool stuff, they continue on, um, they get to this point down the river, Frodo feels like he needs to go out on his own, continue on, and some orcai come up after them. Uh, and kind of fuck up their day. They uh, they kill Boromir there. Another rip, sad thing. Um, and that's kind of where the fellowship splits up. And that's kind of where the movie ends. You've got Sam and Frodo going on their way to continue towards Mount Doom. 
Um, Merry and Pippin were uh, kidnapped by the orcs. And then you have Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, who are kind of their own unit for now, who say they're going to continue and try and save Merry and Pippin from the orcs. That's a pretty good Dang summary. Dude. Like, yeah. there is a lot that happens. There is a lot that there happens. There is. That's why I got like, <laughs> I got like a couple minutes and I was like, oh shit, this is not a two minute summary. Yeah. No, but it's, but again, this is, you could feel that there's so much to this world. Um, yeah. And this is just a three hour movie, but the book's kind of chunky. That's like oh, a yeah. 10 hour read, I imagine. Uh, 10, oh, are you uh, joking? Yeah. 10 hours? I think that's too short, dude. <laughs> That, that book's going to take you a couple days to read, probably, <laughs> unless you've got some serious concentration. I mean, so let's just start off. What are our, our initial impressions of the film? Well, I I am normally opposed to extended editions of movies. And to be honest, I wish I watched the theatrical version <laughs> instead. Really? That's yeah. fair. And I think that's where... Like I said, I, I kind of have a slightly controversial opinion um, for a Lord of the Rings fan, and I prefer the theatrical cut. And that's not because <laughs> the extended is not amazing, and I love it, and I love everything that's in it. But there's a reason for the nomenclature that it's an extended edition versus a director's cut. Like, Peter Jackson got say in the theatrical cut that he put out, and he thinks that's what he needed to show to tell the story. And I respect that as his directorial choice. Wait, wait, wait. So, he, so the director's cut of this movie is the actual theatrical, or is it the extended? No, it's a theatrical. That's why it's called an extended edition, not a director's cut. Oh, yeah. wait, wait. So who extended the, the the movie? They just, they had additional footage and they just realized that it, they, I mean, they needed a cut for time. The thing's like three hours long already with the extended edition, you're three and a half hours. The extended edition of Return of the King is a four hour film. <laughs> Wild. It's, it's a lot of movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's what I fi- figured out. Um, In the first part of the podcast, I said that I had seen the extended editions recently, a few years ago. Turns out that was a lie. I actually didn't. I've I've never (laughs) seen the extended edition because I went on the HBO Max and I hit extended edition. And, you know, after the after the intro, the prologue as to the wars and Sauron and everything, the movie cuts to Bilbo writing the, the book, The Hobbit. And I was like, wait I've a second. I've never seen this. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I was like, I've never seen this. What? No, this is supposed to be Frodo in the forest, you know, kind of sitting down. And I was watching it and there's like an extended scene of him talking about Hobbiton and the Hobbits. And I'm like, holy shit, I've never seen this before. <laughs> Hobbits have been living and farming in the four farthings of the Shire for many hundreds of years. Quite content to ignore and be ignored by the world of the big folk. Middle-earth being, after all, full of strange creatures beyond count. Hobbits must seem of little importance. Being neither renowned as great warriors, nor counted among the very wise. (laughs) So, so at that point I was like, oh, okay, so... Austin's watching the extended. Becky's watching the extended. Let me just watch the theatrical, right? Because that's what I saw in theaters. That's what I most vividly remember as a child. I'm like, and dude, I love it. It's fantastic. This this movie has hold up, held up so well. Honestly, for the for the scale of it, not much has not aged well. I guess some of the CGI, but it's like the Matrix. Like, who gives a shit? That's going to happen with CGI no matter what. Mm -hmm. CGI is out of date within five years just because of the nature of the technology evolving at the rate it does. Exactly. Like, technology 
just rapidly got so much better in especially in the early 2000s especially now they're doing so much that the fact that most of this movie doesn't look like garbage is a testament to the to the filmmakers to the visual effects artists and they shot a lot of it on location too right so i was gonna say a lot of the people making the practical elements of it all the costumes of the orcs and everyone in the cast the people the production designers locations miniature artists like Shout out to all of them, cause see, see what happens when you give your crew and director enough pre-production lead time. You get movies that last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> that you say that because that did not happen for the Hobbit trilogy. Oh no, it did not, and there's a reason those movies looked like they did. <laughs> yeah, I they're actually so I've been collecting 4K Blu-rays. I've got my little collection, um. And they were they recently released uh, all all six films, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings in like a 4K bundle. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of don't want those Hobbits films. I'm just going to pass this <laughs> and get the Lord of the Rings one. Cause I really don't That's want the, the right th- choice. Yeah, because those movies have not aged well. And they came out, what, like six years ago, five years ago. They have not aged well. I, I don't think so, personally. No. But these films are incredible, especially Fellowship, like. Ah, there's so much to talk about. It's great, but I I love this movie. Yeah, one thing that uh, I didn't really understand as a kid was uh, Boromir, uh, and I was I was kind of like, yeah, it's sad that he died, but isn't it good? Because he was trying to take the ring, you know. <laughs> but yeah, wa- yeah. watching it again, I was like, oh, his his people were on the forefront of the attack from the Mordor, right? And you kind of see mm-hmm. what the war has done to his people when you like see his part of town in the sequels part of town uh his his realm <laughs> I guess. you know you see him around town sometimes yeah it's like damn they were the ones fighting the whole time everyone's keeping everybody safe and no wonder he wants the ring so i think watching it now as an adult it makes me more sympathetic to boromir the ring is altogether evil it is a gift a gift to the foes of mordor why not use this ring? Long has my father, the steward of Gondor, kept the forces of Mordor at bay. By the blood of our people are your lands kept safe. Give Gondor the weapon of the enemy. Let us use it against him. I heard her voice inside my head. She spoke of my father and the fall of Gondor. And she said to me, even now, there is hope left. But I cannot see it. It is long since we had any hope. You know, one of the things that really stuck out, stood out to me, like watching it now as an adult, because the first time I watched these movies, I was like 11 or 12. Um, so it was like watching it with like the naive child, like wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, but rewatching it back this time was just seeing how like, young Frodo was at the time in the book slash movies he's I think 33 if I remember correctly which sounds like an adult but in Hobbit years that's still a kid so like it kind of fits in the narrative of like this young adult that's been chosen like almost teenager and like having to carry the this heavy burden and now being a little bit older because I'm in my 30s now I'm just like man maybe we shouldn't be sending kids to save the world (laughs) No, 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 no. See, 
all all of these stories end with the with all the children growing up and winning. So if anything, this is like a pro children going to war story. Like <laughs> we should be sending more children, like more chosen ones. Oh you know, like the more children we send out, there's bound to be one chosen one, and they're gonna fix it. So I think that's the message of the movie. Send kids to war is what you got from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, totally, dude. <laughs> My God, did we, <laughs> yep. we did not watch the same movie. <laughs> No, we we it's that theatrical cut versus extended edition. <laughs> and Frodo, he, spoilers, I guess, but he comes back. He survives. We'll be fine. Look, I'm just saying, a lot of grown people die in these movies. How many kids uh, die? I would. Him coming back and being okay, <laughs> questionable. That man has a lot of psychological damage by the time he's back. He'll be fine. He'll get. He'll get over it. What? He'll be fine. One thing that I I didn't understand as a kid was what does the ring do besides make you invisible. Okay, but I th- I think part of like you don't really need to know other than to see how it affects everybody. Like Gandalf is a wizard; he's like all knowing, seemingly. He's like smoking his weed, shooting his fireworks, and uh, doing spells and shit. But he doesn't touch the ring at all. Like when yep. when um Bilbo leaves and like leaves the ring behind, Gandalf doesn't even pick it up from the floor. <laughs> he just leaves yep. it there. And how it, it turns Bilbo's face all scary. Like, the ring is, yeah. is terrifying. Yeah, it's got a lot of power. Like, that's the reason for Gollum slash Smeagol's extended life. Like, the the part where Elrond's talking about how he was there when Isildur was... He got the ring off of Sauron and he took him into Mount Doom and said, you need to throw this into the fire and destroy evil. And Isildur just says, no. It's just like you can already <laughs> see the kind of impact it can have on someone. Yeah. And after after seeing all the all three movies and knowing the, all the things that are, are going to happen, I'm like, Elrond, you should have just killed him. You should have killed him and tossed his yes. body in the fire. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> A much shorter film. <laughs> dude, I would have wasted that dude. Just pushed him off. Like, no chance. Like, nope. <laughs> I can't have you fighting me back. Like, stab in the back, throw in the volcano. Like, you got to go, bro. <laughs> Also, real quick, can we just appreciate the fact that this is our second Hugo Weaving film? Oh, like, yeah. Back to He's back. so good, it's, dude. Yeah. It's funny. We have like these like kind of weird patterns. Like we'll mm-hmm. talk about a movie that has a shitty person and then the next week, another shitty person. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was Mel Gibson and the one before it was. Um, J.K. Rowling. We'll have like little pat- patterns. And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a pattern here. And it's like, it's Hugo, Hugo Weaving. And he's incredible. He's so good. Yeah. yeah. This is a good pattern. Finally, a good pattern. <laughs> but it, it's, no, he, Hugo Weaving is great. And that scene was hilarious because I was like, Mr. Smith would have handled this totally different. <laughs> well, that's almost like foreshadowing because at the end, I mean, spoiler alert, in The Return of the King, like Gollum gets his hands on the ring and you end up throwing Gollum and the ring into the fire. And that's what destroys it. Yeah. Mm. So there's yeah. cinematic parallels. Oh, yeah. yeah. In a weird way, it foreshadows the struggle that Frodo's going to deal with. It's almost like a mirror. Sam's uh, Hugo Weaving. And he's like, toss it, Frodo, toss it. And he doesn't. Instead, he goes a step further and he puts the ring on. If I remember correctly, Frodo puts the ring on and he vanishes, seemingly keeping the ring for himself. It's very similar to the backstory of, of the first film. So I think it just highlights just the um, the... The temptation that this ring puts in front of you. Mm-hmm. The, um, the ring is is like a, I guess, a metaphor for just absolute power. Even though not really sure how it works, uh, other than being invisible. 
but the the way that people want to use it like uh, boromir wants to use it to save his people because they're on like the the front lines of this battle gandalf knows that if he has that ring there's no telling what that ring will make him do because he's he knows all these things and everything well it seems like the ring has it has some extra it has some powers like it makes you invisible it it prolongs your life so you age a lot lower in the battle, you see like Sauron just like whacking people with this like whoosh power, kind of like a uh, Fuzro Da from Skyrim. <laughs> uh, and so I'm I'm attributing that to the ring. I don't know yeah. if Sauron has those powers, and- but it, it does seem that it has like a set of, of, of powers that mm-hmm. you can unlock. And it is the the one ring to rule them all. And he's given these uh, nine rings to men who I think eventually become the ring rates. Yeah, okay. Yes. I was going to Oh, they, so they are. Yeah, the the ring race are the nine rings of men who are corrupted by the power of their rings. Okay, so I was being a smart ass while watching the film because like it's like, "Oh, those are the 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 men, right?" Like from the beginning of the film, I was like, "But there's only five of them." <laughs> so then I was like, "Well, it can't be it then." And okay, you just confirmed that it was those guys. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What happens uh, to this isn't in the movie, but I was wondering what happened to the dwarves and the elves that had their rings. Well, the elves still have their rings. So Gladriel has her. She's the steward of one of them. I believe Elrond is the other one uh, or one of the others. And then and again, I'm really like terrible at like living up to my credentials of the Lord of the Rings nerd <laughs> because I have not read the books in a long time. So a lot of the names escape me. Um, but there's then a third elf. But the elves also have like a different vibe yeah i guess this is the best way to put it because they're immortal they have like a little bit better of a willpower i assume but even in this movie galadriel is tempted she said she had the ring of power she would become an evil queen and stuff like that yeah and she um, gets all so scary oh my god they're Ooh. they're not immune to it either yeah i will just say that effect has not aged well yeah it's still creepy oh definitely it gets the point across yeah. yes that's what i think creeps me out the most about this movie it's just how easily tempted people are because you'd think like just get over it but <laughs> everyone but, but everyone, just get over it just get over it like it's not that big of a deal <laughs> but then you see how everyone just reacts to it and i think what freaked me out was gandalf and G- galadriel both reacting the way they did to it i think that's what freaked me out the most because i'm like oh gandalf is like basically our papa in the He's movie one He's our Obi-Wan. He's our daddy. And then Gladriel is like, she looks like a badass. And if both of these people feel like this about the ring, holy shit. Because it really seems like the ring, what it makes, I think one of its strengths is that it makes you feel like a boss bitch. Like to, and it inhibits <laughs> your sense of judgment. It makes you feel like I you love do, this interpretation. <laughs> right? But it makes you feel like you're all powerful, all knowing, and all the things that would inhibit you from doing bad things, it gets rid of that. So you feel like a badass and you have no like moral code. I- imagine all the things you could do. Like, I honestly be like, man, fuck this baby. Fuck this town. I'm going to kill everyone. And <laughs> the fact that even Gandalf and Galadriel react, were even slightly tempted to it. Like, oh, fuck. There's that line that Gandalf says. It's like, um, you must take it. You cannot offer me this ring. I'm giving it to you. Don't tempt me, Frodo. I dare not take it. Not even to keep it safe. Understand, Frodo. I would use this ring from a desire to do good. But through me, it would 
wield a power too great and terrible to imagine. I think that as a kid, I didn't understand that, right? I was like, mm-hmm. just give it to Gandalf. He's the great and powerful. But as a grown person watching, it's like, oh, no. they, You know, he he's in a really tough spot. He can't take it because if he turns, fuck, you know? Yeah, th- all, all those people that were tempted, they, they know their way around the world. You know, they know how awful a place it can be and the things that people will do for power. But I feel like Frodo and the the Hobbits are perfect because they just live in the Shire and just worry about what they're going to have for second breakfast all day. (laughs) And it seems like they have an inherent goodness. Like there is just something inherently good about Hobbits that kind of helps balance out the ring in a way. But ultimately, Frodo gives in to the the will of the ring uh, in the third film And, and multiple times in here, too. Yeah, he he chooses to be invisible a few times. Yeah. It definitely feels like the ring has am- um, unambiguous powers, but honestly, with how people react to it and stuff, you're like, oh, fuck, this is a dangerous ass thing. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word, man. <laughs> yeah, this movie is it has aged well, in my opinion, at least the theatrical cut. Um, I know you guys had some grievances with the extended one. I'm I, curious. I wouldn't if- say I had grievances. I think the extended cut also um, ages well. It's just it just tells you more backstory. Like like you said, there's that that scene in The Hobbit where we're getting more of Bilbo's backstory. We kind of learn more about the I mean, because obviously the Hobbit movies didn't exist then um, other than a like really bad 70s animated version. <gasps> you didn't like that one? I, it's it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, that, 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 that listener is just like, oh, well, actually, it's a pretty good movie. You just didn't understand it. See, here's the thing. I, I I saw the animated version after I saw the, the films, oh, okay. like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I'm like, just, you know, it's, <laughs> your, your bar is set a little bit higher. So then I saw that and I was like, really? That, that's what they gave us? But so they're kind of just giving a little bit more backstory of, the, of like The Hobbit, I think. And then uh, there's a few other things. We get some extended stuff in Rivendell. Um, so you get a little bit more of like what's going on with Aragorn and Arwen and kind of their romance. You get a little bit more in Lothlorien, a little bit more time with Galadriel. Um, it's it's not yeah. obviously like if they cut it out for the theatrical, it's not something that was inherently necessary for the story. But if you are someone that's coming from being a fan of the books, I think it's a little bit telling you more of the story that you were expecting out of the mythology. Yeah, because there's that, that scene where they're, they're given gifts by Galadriel. I'm, does that happen mm-hmm. in the theatrical cut? Not as long and explicitly, if I remember correctly. Well, the only scene, the only gift that Galadriel gives them is the star. She gives it to Frodo, the, the, yeah. the little vial with that, that, whole, that he uses eventually. That's the only gift. Okay. Um, oh, she- in the extended edition, all seven of, or all, yeah, there's... No, there's eight by then. We've only lost Gandalf. They give all eight of them gifts. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. It, the only one we see is uh, Frodo, Frodo's star. Um, it it kind of sounds, and again, I think I might piss off some hardcore-like book, like Lord of Ring fans, but like it really just sounds like the, the theatrical is just a leaner, tighter film. All this backstory stuff, that's really cool. It, it's It's great, especially if you like the books, but I mean... To an audience member who's never seen this movie and they're witnessing this for the first time and this is your introduction, a three hour movie, you you because you have to keep in mind pace. You have to keep in mind audience retention. You have to you have Mm -hmm. to worry about all these things and exposition. It's an it's a piece of entertainment. 
right? The books, yes, they're a work of art, but it's also an entertainment, entertaining piece. And whether the book you could read at whatever pace you want, the movies, you're there for three hours locked in. And that's already right? asking oh, yeah. a lot. <laughs> that is asking yeah. a lot. I have no idea how I sat through this movie. That's why I think when you're introducing someone new to Lord of the Rings movies, you always want to start at the theatrical first because it's already a big time investment you're asking. And if they do like it, then surprise, you get more by showing them the extended versions. Yeah. Like I do, I did like the the backstory with all the hobbits and everything, but it, it becomes like an hour 40 before the fellowship is formed, I think. Yeah, that's about the half. Yeah, I think like when Elrond goes, the Fellowship of the Ring is about the halfway yeah. point of the film. So like, I think like Extended is nice, but it's not like the best version of the film, I think. But I don't know. Yeah, the, I, the, I remember the, in the, the sequels, you never really find out what's, what happens to Saruman. You don't see a, a scene that shows that. But in the Extendeds, you see him get like tossed out of the, from the tower or something. Which I think hmm, maybe we should have resolved that that uh, character within the film, but that that's all I can remember. From from what I can remember, he he was in the two towers, and they have to battle there with the trees. And then when they win, the impression I got was just that he's stuck in his tower. He's surrounded. He's lost his army at that point, like in that location. There's nothing he can do, so he's just locked in his tower. I don't remember them kicking that him out, or and I don't know any about that. Um, which would have been nice, I guess, but yeah, I, I think the the guy that was tricking the king of Gondor, if, if that's Gondor, I don't I don't know the terminology. Uh, you Rohan, Rohan, uh, yes, 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 yeah. So King Theoden was uh, being uh, deceived by Wormtail. Yes, yes, Grimma Worm, or sorry, not Wormtail. Oh my God, Wormtail's Harry Potter. Uh, oh. uh, Grimma Worm Tongue. <laughs> I am really just shooting holes in my credentials today. Uh, I wouldn't have noticed. You could. I would have like, yeah, Worm Tongue, absolutely. Wait, Worm Worm Tongue is the right one, right? Worm Tongue is the right one. Wormtail is the Harry Potter one. What is it about traitors being called worm? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's an apt animal. <laughs> It's just it's just funny. I think the worm worm tongue is the one that kills him in, in Return of the King. Or yeah, Return of the King. Oh, Saruman, Saruman dies? Yeah, he gets he gets stabbed and he gets thrown off the, the top of his tower that he kept Gandalf in. Oh shit. Does that happen in Return of the King? Either Return of the King or the Two Towers. Oh, I don't remember okay. that at okay. That, well, yeah, that it doesn't not be- happen in the theatrical cuts. But I, okay. I feel like he's such he's a pretty great villain in in this movie? Oh, yeah. Saruman? Yeah, he's like in all white. And he's like, oh, yeah, come over, Gandalf. And then he closes all the doors with his powers. Yeah. Every single... It's, it's so funny. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I, like, say that- I can't go out this door. I'm going to go out this door. And that one closes. I'm going to try a third door. <laughs> he's not suspicious. Like, why are you closing the door- doors? Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say um, two things about that. Number one, that I love that fight scene. It's kind of wacky, but I love how wacky it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, their their choice of all the close up shots while they're just throwing each other around is that was the only part where I was like, I don't remember this being um quite as I don't I don't want to say campy because it wasn't, but it almost felt like it went on a little long because they just kept throwing each other back and forth, and we got close up yeah, shots. Of yeah, them. I expect wizard battles to be like you know, like the fifth Harry Potter movie. Yes, yeah, like beams just like duking it out in the in the air, like Dragon Ball Z style or something. <laughs> Well, it's you actually touched on something that I wanted to bring up, Becky. But real quick, also, 
Saruman, come on. We all should have known he was evil. Even as a kid, I knew he was evil. The main villain is called Sauron. Yeah. And this guy's called Saruman. <laughs> come on. I, even as a kid, I was like, man, this dude's evil. There is nothing about him that looks good. So when he turns, it's like, okay, fucking told you. But anyway, that's beside the point. Something oh, he's also he, Count Dooku, too. Exactly. Yeah, Christopher Lee has got the pedigree. He's uh, Johnny Depp's daddy in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and he's kind of an asshole in that. But something that you touched on, Becky, that I want to capitalize on is like this movie is a lot. You said campy. I I think it is campy. I think it is a bit more campy than I remember, because if you watch Peter Jackson's earlier work like Dead Alive, that movie is campy <laughs> to a T. Like oh it is my, so my favorite line from that movie is when the priest kicks uh, <laughs> when he's fighting the zombies and he's like, devil is amongst us. Stay back, boy. This calls for divine intervention. I kick ass for the Lord. (laughs) Like, this is that's the same guy that's making these movies. And for some reason, in my head, I always remember the Lord of the Rings being like big, giant, sweeping shots. Like very on sticks and dollies, very un like very strict, straightforward. For some reason in my head it was like that. But watching it, it's like, no, the camera's like on the shoulder. It's very janky. They'll go from like straightforward, like to slow motion. They'll do weird like close-ups and like cut-ins, like Gladriel's cut-in, like to her eyes as they widen up. I don't remember that, but that's such a creepy thing to have. And it makes yeah. the movie feel campier. And that scene when they're fighting is so fucking campy, but I loved it. <laughs> I, I think uh, that's kind of a caveat you have to have going into any sort of fantasy movie, though. You kind of go in willing to meet the movie halfway because it's like there's things that are going to happen that don't happen in real life because it's fantasy. Like we don't have elves. We don't have wizards kind of thing. So you go in and like, obviously, there are things you can't do in real life that you're going to need like CGI for like wires and stunts and stuff like that. Like obviously having an entire river to turn into horses to take out the (laughs) ring race because Arwen said some sort of elvish spell or something. Is it campy? Yes. But is it high fantasy? Yes. So by extension, it is high fantasy just campy. Hmm. I I don't know. I think it, I think it really just depends on, the person doing it because i think you'll have something like i mean you, you're mentioning fantasy um harry potter for some of those especially the early ones it plays it kind of campy kind of fun but if you go on to like the six harry potter or something like those movies play it very straightforward like those are this is a serious fantasy film i would argue <laughs> whereas the filmmaking with this one it just seems kind of it just seems a little bit campier, you know, with, I mean, you mentioned the close-ups in the fight scene with us, with Sar- mm-hmm. Saruman, and it's a little disorienting. Like, you're kind of confused. There's no real, like, wide shots that show you exactly. It just seems very hectic. It's very, it's cut very he- hectically, and it was kind of funny a little, and not, yeah. it wasn't intentionally, it was just a little. Yeah, I think Peter Jackson does have a sense of fun when it comes to his movies, like, dead alive like a priest is fighting zombies with kung fu like that's yeah. that's funny okay that sounds like a good time uh and in, in this movie the you have those the weird 
wizard battle close-ups you have Gladriel's close-ups when she's talking to you but then she's also talking to you like into your mind i love it how it gets weird and and how it yep. gets funny too it's not in this movie but in i think in the next one when they find the hobbits the orcs are like looks like meat's back on the menu <laughs> 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 like that that's funny and i it doesn't make me feel like uh Mary and Pippin are in any less danger, but it's still really funny. It is. And it also calls into question, um, what menus do they have in <laughs> Middle Earth that orcs are reading? Why, how do they know what a menu is? <laughs> when you have something that's willing to embrace being maybe a little bit campier, a little bit more with, with some more self-awareness, I think you're able to like genre bend a little bit more because this movie, I've I had Matrix vibes from this movie because this movie's it's doing a lot of things at once. Was that the movie or was that just Hugo Weaving? <laughs> no, no, the, the, the actual movie. Because like Lord of the Rings, when we talked about it, it was a Western film. It's a Kung Fu film. It's a sci-fi Matrix. film. Yeah, The Matrix. Yeah. The Matrix is... It's like Lord of the Rings is a Western? <laughs> this is a new angle. I'm interested. No, the, the Matrix is a Western Kung Fu sci-fi action film uh, with some elements of horror and stuff. This movie, it's fantasy. It's action adventure. There's some horror stuff to this movie, though. There's some very scary shit. And there's also some comedy to it, especially with the Hobbits or just all the characters in general. There's a sense of fun with with all of them. <laughs> and a touch of romance with Aragorn and Arwen. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of genres happening, a lot of things happening, and they all go really cohesively. And I think that's thanks to kind of how fun and wacky Peter Jackson directs these things. If he had played it straightforward, I don't think it would have been as fun. And I don't think you could have made all the genres blend into one another as easily. Yeah. No, I can I can definitely agree with that take. It's, um, I, I mean, at its core, obviously, it's a high fantasy. But I think also when you're talking about how, like, there's a lot of close-ups and, um, but then you also have these big sweeping wide shots that are showing, showing the beauty of New Zealand, which is standing in for Middle Earth. It's kind of how the story is because you, it's this big sweeping story of how they're destroying evil and kind of like taking on the fate of middle earth but at its core you're also telling a very personal story of frodo's journey so it's like you're going back and forth kind of micro to macro um and i think choosing the shots they did kind of mirrors that too sometimes absolutely that's a great point a hundred that's a great connection it's almost like we studied film analysis or something in college You, you, you're using that degree real well, Becky. Well, I mean, yeah, this movie has a such a wide visual visual language. I mean, you're right; these the sweeping shots are gorgeous and very fantasy, very blockbustery. But you know, he's also not afraid to get down to the nitty gritty. You know, like that like that battle between um, between Saruman and uh, and Gandalf. I mean, there's really no effects outside of just some wire work and just and that he's spinning them around like a top. <laughs> That freaked me out oh, as a kid. Yeah. That freaked me out as breakdance Gandalf. <laughs> as a kid, I was terrified because I'm like, oh no, that's Gandalf. Like he's cool. Yeah, there's like a thing that happens in movies sometimes where you're like, okay, that's the worst that could happen to him. He's fine now. He's got he's got plot armor now. And then he fights the Balrog, and he's like, oh, he got him. All right, we're good. Oh. And then he he does like the whip. Still breaks my heart. Grabs every his time. leg. Oh, fly, you fools! Damn this and. I, I forgot how um, just bitter this ending is. <laughs> like they end it like on a, you know, with that, hoo, 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 you know, that, <laughs> that, that, that the, br- thing. the breaking of the fellowship. 
honestly one of the best scored tracks of like movie composition. Oh, is that what it's music, called? I think. Yeah. So I, I when I say I was a Lord of the Rings nerd as a kid, I used to have like a CD-ROM player, and I would go around listening to the soundtracks, like the scores. Like I was sitting in the back of the bus in middle school singing an Elvish. I was that weird kid. <laughs> Um, so like the breaking of the fellowship is the song that plays at the end. Um, and then Enya sings, um, Gollum maybe, song? and that's the credit oh. song. No, that's, that's two towers, uh, is Gollum's song. And then, um, into the West by Annie Lennox is for Return oh. of the King. I love Annie Lennox. Yeah. There's some, some great songs. The score is Howard Shore and was able to make something like over a hundred different motifs into the score and you can hear how like each individual character kind of has their own um, theme and how they grow and build and how like the Hobbit uh, the the Shire score kind of starts getting taking a darker and darker tone as the movie goes on and as they get closer and closer to Mordor and it's really just like one of the most music beautifully composed musical scores ever 100% it, it's the the music along with the visuals just gives you the sense that this world is real. I I'm about to say something kind of stupid, but I forgot while watching this movie that this movie was filmed on Earth. <laughs> I forgot that these were real locations that like because they should they filmed this in New Zealand. Yeah, I didn't get this. I don't watching this movie. I was like, oh yeah, that's New Zealand. I f- kind of forgot got sucked into this world and it's like no this is middle earth i don't know where middle earth is i don't know if it's on earth or it's just another planet maybe but it's so so it just sucks you in so well just the the shots and the music it's really well designed and i think part of that is because in the timeline of the history of middle earth the the lord of the Rings story takes place kind of at at the end of the age of elves and um Obviously, it dawns on the age of men by the end of Return of the King, but you're seeing a world in ruins. You're seeing like what's left of the high age of the elves. You're seeing like we get to um, that first hilltop that used to be a watchtower, which is where they have the confrontation with the ring race and its ruins. And you're getting to um, at the end when they're breaking up. They're uh, going past those two big uh, statues on the river and they've got all this growth on them. And then they're in the woods and there's these old um, stone stairs that they're kind of going down. And you just kind of get this feeling of there's history here and there's there's history to this world. And it's because there is because in Middle Earth, there's been thousands and thousands of years. And these are just this is one story that's happening within the passage of time of Middle Earth. You absolutely hit it right there. There's so much history to this world. And that's something that's always made me feel intimidated about reading a fantasy book. It's just because these books will go like, well, this is the son of this person who's the grandson of this guy who did this thing in this location that you don't know about. Skip the Silmarillion then. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I can't stand that. I'm going to be honest. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't understand. Uh, like, you know, this person from this thing or this is when the High Elves did this. This movie has some of that backstory. I don't understand. I don't actually understand it. Like, I can't tell you the relationship between that and this. Or, no, but because you're so immersed in this world that having those details just makes it feel like there's even this was all well thought out. There's so much to this and it all makes sense. It just makes you feel like you're in Middle Earth. It's the same thing with Harry Potter. You know, there's all these little details all around the world that makes it feel very lived in. And it gave me the illusion that this wasn't happening in real life 
you know, these guys weren't walking, weren't filming all throughout New Zealand. They were in fucking Middle Earth. I'm a grown ass man thinking that, you know, I'm usually the guy. Well, you know, did you know that this scene, they filmed it in Egypt or whatever. Um, here I am like, wow, you could visit these places in real life. Yeah, that's that's one of my uh, bucket list trips is to go down. To, I've wanted to go to New Zealand for 20 years now, and it's just something that's never quite happened and i i know like the moment i go on the lord of the rings tour i'm just gonna be bawling my eyes out because <laughs> i'm finally in middle earth no but that totally makes sense it totally makes sense especially seeing that at such a young age and being so committed to this world singing songs in elf like elvish it's like yeah this means a this means a fuck ton to you so I, and to you and millions of other fans who love these movies, so it totally makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, the one thing I noticed about the extended edition is that there's 20 minutes of just thanking the fans. I noticed that. I had never really sat through the credits of the extended edition, and I was just looking at like the time code, and I was like, why does this have 25 <laughs> minutes of credits yeah. on it? It's just really? all these fans. It's crazy. Like the Lord of the Rings fan club. And it thinks... 20 minutes worth of names. It's the OG Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was one one sequence that was not shot on location, though. It's the, the Mines of Moria. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I love that, that whole sequence. When they're in that cave, when you see those goblins coming out, they're goblins, right? Not orcs? Uh, goblins in Moria, yeah. Which I didn't know that there were goblins in Lord of the Rings until... Uh, the Hobbit, but really, yeah, I would, I did, I thought they were all orcs. Yeah, same, a hundred percent. When they said goblins in this movie, I was like, wait, there's goblins? Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess they kind of, they do look different. Like when, when they, the goblins first come out, and one has like those giant eyes. I'm like, okay, that's that's a goblin. These are they're fighting goblins here. Uh, I really liked the the way that Gandalf does not want to go down. The, the the minds of Moria. Having seen the movie, I'm like, oh, that's when Gandalf dies. I don't want to see that. And so, like, watching it, having seen it before, I understand his his fear of of the minds. Um, but they also really foreshadow it really well too, because he he's like, I I'm not even gonna say why I don't want to go in here. You have to make the choice, Frodo. And then he's like, all right, let's go into the minds. And he's like, God damn it. <laughs> the one thing I think is and I don't know why I never thought about this before, is that Gimli doesn't know that his family's gone? Yeah. Like, yeah. How, how long has it been since you've, like, gotten a letter? Like, <laughs> now I'm thinking about, like, what is the Middle-Earth mail system? Like, do you send a raven? Do you send an eagle? Like, what's, how, how do you get? Moths seem to work pretty fast. <laughs> I was curious about that, it too. seems like Gandalf knew what happened, but Gimli didn't. And it's like, it's your family in there. How do you not know? If a fire devil thing comes out, I'm sure word's going to get around unless everyone dies. That was a little confusing. But as a kid, I forgot about that squid thing outside. Because because thinking about it, it's like, why why don't they just leave? Why do they keep going through it? You know? And then you have the squid thing that kind of forces them in there. It's like, oh, I forgot. I saw this movie a few years ago. I forgot about it. What the fuck is wrong with me? It's a very small thing, the water in the water. So like most it's it's not something that is a big part of the film, but it does is the reason why they can't turn back basically and are forced. No option to not have Gandalf die eventually, unfortunately. Yeah. Which is, which is a tragic death, man. It 
Fuck. Or like death in, in quotes, because well, he comes yeah. back in the second one. But I, I didn't know that. You, I, you don't know that when you watch the first one. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's really heart-wrenching. Well, especially if you haven't read the books. As a kid, I thought Gandalf ate it. And I'm like, he was he was one of my favorite characters. What the fuck? So when he does come back in two times, you're like, oh, <gasps> it was the original like in Avengers Endgame scene where they come back with the portals. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that whole cave system. I remember because they back when people would mod games, there was a custom level for Left 4 Dead 2 where somebody recreated the Mines of Moria as a Left 4 Dead level. So you go through. That's amazing. You go through the, the part where. Uh, they get jumped by the troll and then you go into when they have they're going across that bridge that's collapsing and then Aragon's like lean forward and I, I forgot that Gimli says nobody tosses a dwarf right before he makes <laughs> a jump and almost falls over and then they <laughs> and throw then, back to that <laughs> I have to say like I've lost count of how many times I've watched that movie and when I was rewatching it this time I was like when Aragorn says lean forward I was also <laughs> leaning <laughs> I was like, yes, we must do this together. (laughs) That's great. This movie ends on such a bitter note, man. I've seen all three movies. And even now, at the end of this one, I'm still depressed. Oh, (laughs) damn. What the fuck's going to happen? Wait, what what am I talking about? I've seen this already. And I think that's why this movie left such a big impression on me as a kid. Because that ending is bitter. I mean, Gandalf dies. All these people that you grow to like all become separated. Like, Frodo can't trust them. You know? There is a sense that he can't trust these people that we've grown to like, which is a shame. You get the sense that it's beyond beyond their willpower almost. Like if they're if it, you put it in front of them for so long, they are going to turn eventually. Aragon's going to turn. And that's a depressing thought. And when it ends, you're like, that what? It leaves it on enough of a cliffhanger that you want more, but I still feel like it tells a well-rounded story within the one movie. Yes. Cuz like I mm-hmm. I went and saw Dune earlier this year when it came out and I was very put off by the cliffhanger they left. And someone was talking to me. They're like, you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Like, well, that was the same at the end of Fellowship of the Ring. And I was like, but Fellowship told a whole story. Like, Dune Part 1 felt like it was just the prequel setup to Dune Part 2. Like, it it did not feel like a completed story. Well, I think the, the it's it is similar in that by the end, our protagonist understands, like actually understands what they must do. I think it isn't until uh, Paul does the thing at the end. Spoilers, if no one, if people want to see Dune, he does a thing at the end. And then, <laughs> and then he understands what it is that he was, is supposed to do. And in the end of The Lord of the Rings, Frodo understands the, the power of the ring and why it's on what it means to be uh, to carry that burden. The ring bearer. Yeah, the, to be the ring bearer. And he has to leave and go by himself to, to do it. It's funny that you mentioned Dune, Becky, because um, I've heard that it doesn't have a real climax. Whereas Fellowship of the Ring kind of does. It does. It, that battle in the forest is emotionally impactful. You, you have the death of, Hero, mm-hmm. of Boromir. Um you have Frodo making the choice to go on his by himself. You have um, the death of Gandalf as well. So it does feel a bit more complete. I will say, if they had never made the second one, I would be fucking pissed. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, the Lord of the Rings trilogy 
was all shot together at once. They spent like five years or something filming those movies. And so like the first one came out and they just went back to New Zealand and kept filming. But they were shooting pieces of like the second and third movie at the same time sometimes. So it was it was never a question if the other two were going to come out because it was greenlit as a trilogy to be with a $300 million budget or something around that. Whereas with Dune, Dune part one was only greenlit originally. Like everyone was like, yeah, part two is going to happen, like understood. But it was like, then the pandemic happened. And then it was like, is this going to make enough of a profit that the studio is going to greenlight it? And then like, it took like two weeks after the movie to come out for the studio to go like, Dune Part 2 officially happening sequels Greenland. It's like, what if you made Dune Part 1 and just a sequel never happened? Yeah. Because that was a possibility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was scared. I was like, I want more of this. I, I remember Go. refreshing the page <laughs> in the two weeks between. I'm like, Dune Part 2? Yes? Well, not yet? Okay. Tomorrow yeah. I'll check. <laughs> there was definitely a sense of anxiety. I think the film's coming out in 2023. I think they've... Uh... They've, they've put out a release date for October. Have they done production for it and filming? No, they are they are jumping into it now. See, that scares me when they put a release date on the schedule without having actually filmed anything yet. Yeah, no, it is frightening. So with The Hobbit movies, originally it was going to be a duology. There's going to be two films. Guillermo del Toro was going to direct. Peter Jackson was on to be a consultant producer or a full producer. I can't remember if there was a distinction between the two because obviously they still wanted to keep create like a visual cohesiveness with the original trilogy. And then there were creative differences. Guillermo del Toro dropped out and they're like, well, Peter's here. Just have him direct it. And then Peter stepped on to direct it and they're like, well, let's just give him a whole nother trilogy. But they already had release dates on the schedule and they didn't want to push those release dates. And so they were under the clock to get these movies out. And so they didn't have the same kind of pre-production that they had. So they relied a lot more heavily on CGI. And um, there's some behind the scenes um, clips from the third uh, Battle of Five, Ar Five Armies. They started filming that movie without a full script. And then they got like <laughs> uh, like a month or two or three in and they're like, we need to figure out what story we're telling. And that's why I think I, I really liked Unexpected Journey. I think getting back into the world was great. Uh, the Desolation of Smog, I enjoyed because, I mean, Smog's great, but also we got to see Lake Town. And Lake Town is really the first time we see a new part of Middle Earth we didn't see in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Battle of the Five Armies is just a giant CGI mess. I don't ever want to sit through that movie again, to be frank. It was not good. <laughs> yeah. and it, which was unfortunate as someone who loves these the, the world of Middle Earth so much. Yeah, I haven't even seen the Battle of the Five Armies. I've only seen the first two. And the only... Hey, skip it. Uh, yeah, I, there's no desire to go back. And the only thing that really stood out for me when this in that trilogy was Smaug, like the design of the dragon and kind of his characterization and how beautiful he looks. I remember they were making a whole hoopla about it being in 48 frames per second, which I'm always about. Oh, I saw all those movies at 48 frames. I, I, I have no problem. It was a little weird. It's weird. It was weird. And it wasn't like, a, this is the future. It was like, that was interesting. Yeah, we're, we're trying something. <laughs> well, I remember thinking like um, all the scenes where they're talking, you know, straightforward. It looked a little strange, but the scenes with Smaug flying and stuff, all that looks crisp. Like it looked yeah. really beautiful and detailed. I'm like more action scenes need to be filmed in 48 frames per second or at a higher frame rate because this looks gorgeous. But, you know, you it's a it's a give and take. Which part of the film do you sacrifice? And they clearly lean towards the action uh sacrificing 
some of the uh, more personal stuff. My favorite part of The Hobbit was the Goblin King. <laughs> uh, I, He's having like a straight up nutsack on his face. Like, yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Well, you, but And I don't know if this is the fault of the story of The Hobbit. I, I've never read The Hobbit. I've never read any of these books. I tried. But The Hobbit just lacks... It, it lacks so much of what made this original trilogy so great. I mean... It, the action isn't as standout as this one, right? All the all, like all the people fighting the orcs and the goblins is so exciting and so like adrenaline inducing. I I didn't feel the Hobbit had that except for the smog, the scene with Smaug. Um, it doesn't have the same level of humor. Like yeah, the Goblin King's kind of funny because he has a nutsack on his face. I'll, I'll agree with you there, but it just. It just didn't seem like the same kind of humor. It just wasn't as funny. Nah, I, I remember this, all nine of the Fellowship. And I get today I figured out who was Pippin and who was Mary, But that doesn't really matter. Yeah. I don't remember the, those those dwarves. Hell no. I don't remember they, their names. I, they all look the same to me. <laughs> I know sorry, one of them man. was... I know that the Hobbit's Bilbo and Gandalf's in there. But the dwarves? You can't even pick Thorin out? Is he the He's main the, one? He's the main one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. He is. That okay. one. <laughs> That way, yeah. Oh, no. But he like this movie lacks the same characterization that all nine of these characters have. The action isn't as cool. The humor seems a little bit more forced. There's no sense of urgency too. Like, and maybe that's because Lord of Rings is about the end of the world. Hobbit isn't. But there's like a sense of foreboding, like of tension, just like everyone reacting to this ring. Hobbit doesn't have that. Yeah, I don't even remember what the Hobbit was about. I know they go on a, the a journey. Well, the Hobbit was originally a children's book. J.R. Tolkien, he would tell stories to his kids at night and his son, Christopher, would be like, wait, that that detail doesn't match this one. So he has he started writing them down. And that's how he kind of started building out the world of Middle Earth. And the first story he wrote was The Hobbit and he got it published. Um, and then eventually they're like, hey, well, you, uh, you got some more. And that's and then he did Lord of the Rings. And originally he wanted Lord of the Rings was supposed to be one book. And they're like, absolutely not. <laughs> and they split it into three. <laughs> so that's why it's it's got a lot more like mature themes in it. Okay. Not mature as in like it, sexual, but mature as in like end of the world, heavy things. Genocide. Yeah. OK. I, and But then you're also uh, if you're looking at the history of Tolkien himself, he had just come out of the. At the time, the Great War, World War One, he had lost three of his best friends. Um, I don't know if either of you saw the movie Tolkien that just came out a couple of years oh, ago. We did. Mm -hmm. The movie itself is not spectacular, but as a Tolkien fan, I enjoyed it, and I was fortunate enough to see like a an earlier preview because they did it at, at a WonderCon I was attending, and so it was me and a bunch of other Lord of the Rings nerds in a theater, and so it was kind of a nice sense of camaraderie to watch that together, and it really highlights like the headspace he was in to make those movies because he was coming out of this incredibly dark part of history of the real world and kind of like how he had lost everything and still trying to see the goodness in people after living through that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, this movie has, this movie is, de I mean, it's depressing. I'm mean, it's yeah. Cause a lot of people, a lot of characters die. There doesn't seem to be any hope and they kind of, you know, repeat that, you know, people will say this is the end. Uh, this is there's no chance, nothing. But there's even the there's elves a... are like abandoning Middle Earth for, yeah. for their paradise, wherever that is. Valinor. Yeah. Mr. Smith is like straight up like, well, look, we're leaving. All right. <laughs> so this is on you guys. But there is I going back to what you said, Becky, like 
J.R. Tolkien trying to find that good in people. This movie has that uplifting feeling to it. It does it does feel inspirational. It almost feels like, you know what? Fuck it, we can do it. And I love that. It it really seems like someone's trying to find the positive, the good things on, on this in this world. You feel it in this movie. I remember yes. like I, I think I said in the, the the first part of this episode, but I know that they're gonna they're gonna do it, right? They're gonna save the world, but I don't really know it like a hundred percent, you know, it just, cause I'm like, mm-hmm. how are they going to pull this off? How are they going to get that ring in Mount Doom? How are they going to defeat these armies? Yeah. They're, gr- they're great at creating stakes that feel real. Yes. yes. And again, isn't that the sign of a great movie that we're rewatching mm-hmm. this and yet we're still feeling the same dread, the same hopelessness, but also the same uplifting spirit that this movie's putting out. You know, it's like, we're feeling all these different things and yeah, we've seen the movie multiple times and yet we're still wondering like, how do they do it? How do they get there? Mm-hmm. And it's it's a journey to watch in itself. This task was appointed to you. And if you do not find a way, no one will. Then I know what I must do. It's just... I'm afraid to do it. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Something, I mean, we mentioned it a little bit, but this movie is paced incredibly well. For a three-hour movie, it doesn't feel like it. Right now, currently, I I have a lot happening, like a lot of work. Like, mm-hmm. I have a lot of work. Um, so finding the time to watch this, to watch this movie, it, it just seemed like wrong place, wrong time. Like, oh, fuck, man, this week when I have so much to do and I have to watch this three hour long movie. That means three hours that I'm not being productive or not being productive, but like I can't finish this other assignment that I have, which is like looming over my head. So I'm already watching the film in like not the best state of mind. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm with you. But. Those three hours flew by. And I totally forgot about what I had to do. I was so immersed in it. And I just, I, I felt like I was, it was paced. It felt like a movie that was paced for like an hour and a half. It's so wonderful. There's action beats at every moment, but there's intrigue and there's characterization, very deep emotional stuff. You know, the stuff that I scoffed at as a kid, like the relationship between Aragon and um, uh, Arwen, like I appreciate now. And I think it helps just enrich their relationship and his characterization. And it's, I don't know, man, the pacing is so wonderful in this movie. It just feels so good. And for someone who was kind of stressed out, I will finish this movie. Like, huh, I feel good. I feel better. Like if Rhoda could, t- could tackle that ring, I could <laughs> tackle this edit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am curious to see how well it holds up in the three and a half hour extended edition. Do they sacrifice that pacing a little bit? I'm, Little Actually, bit, curious. I think you think so a little bit, yeah, but it also depends on your level of commitment to the world. If you are a Lord of the Rings fan, and I don't even mean like a super heavy duty like me or other Lord of the Rings nerds, I think it just it just gives you more backstory. It gives you more. It creates a little bit more of a well rounded world. You like I said, you you learn more about the hobbits. You kind of learn how Bilbo's avoiding his cousins because they they want <laughs> his that they want Bag End because of, uh, Baggins has always lived in Bag End, and then you t- find out that he ends up leaving his house 
um, his hobbit hole to Frodo, which if, if you do read the books, like the history and like the intertwining of hobbit genteel society is actually really interesting. There's so much they cut out from the books too. Like we don't even oh, yeah. see Tom Bombadil in the movies. And that's such a big part of the books that everyone talks about. Like, why did you take him out? But I think if he had been in, in the movies, it would have been a very different uh, tone. So oh, I'm yeah. kind of more happy that they didn't put him in yeah, there. It's like you got to figure um, out what movie you're going to make. You can't, you can't turn exactly. the entire book into a movie. That's crazy. No one's no. going to watch that. They're, no. <laughs> yeah. They're different mediums for a reason. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, dude. Recently, Anne Rice passed away. Um, and the the interview with the vampire movie and is, is the one movie that I've seen that I've read the book before. And I really like that movie. And I know they cut a lot of stuff out from the book, but I still like the book. You know, the, it was, when you adapt stuff, it's just inevitable you're going to cut some stuff out because it doesn't work for the movie you're trying to make absolutely yeah i i think i i'm very much someone who grew up a reader i was a huge introvert very shy i always had my nose in the book so i'm very much in the camp that uh the book is better than the movie 99 percent of the time with the rare exception being lord of the rings um and the only other exception i say is um the hunger games but that's only because the hunger game books are in first person and i don't like first person books <laughs> um okay. it's a very personal caveat there um but it, it, they really just are different mediums so you can tell a lot more story in a book than you can in a movie because a movie you want to be in that 3x structure within you know ideally less than a 3 hour runtime sometime between 90 minutes to 3 hours and in a book you can put so much more detail and you can have something that can take days to consume. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, which I, we might've mentioned a little bit, but uh, the makeup in this movie is incredible. So good. Yeah. The, it's the orcs, the goblins, uh, Jesus Christ. I can't even imagine what the makeup department must've gone through on days where they had to film all these like orcs running through the forest. Like that must've been, they must've gotten there so early. So many. So people. one of my favorite fun facts is that, um, one of the only, uh, material that they, uh, figured out worked well with making the or the, uh, orcs and the Urukai look like they were sweating was loop like KY jelly. <laughs> and they were using so much of it. They would, they were basically buying all of the lube and like, the island of New Zealand they were on and they eventually contacted the manufacturers and started making their own by like the 50 gallon drum and just calling it wet a lube. <laughs> oh my god. That's great. <laughs> no, I was wondering like man, they look slimy. That looks gross. Now I know it's lube. Yeah, they're lubed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I man, all all the extras, like everything they had to go through. Like this movie um I, like Harry Potter, I think it deserves all the Oscars for all the technical stuff. I mean, makeup, costuming, production design. Like, there's no other movie that I I could even come think that comes close to achieving it, uh, achieving this level of detail. Well, not Fellowship, but Return of the King is one of only three movies that have ever won 11 Oscars. And it's the only one that did a clean sweep because the other two are Ben-Hur and Titanic. And those two were actually nominated for more that they didn't get. Uh, man, they all look real. And it's one of those things where you kind of like, I don't, I can't remember the last time I've seen that many like dressed up extras and stuff like in a recent movie, like maybe a Star Wars film, but mm -hmm. not to this extent, I personally feel, but. No, shout out to the makeup people and the costumes because 
I'm sure they spent hours and months and years just trying to figure this out and getting all the stitching right and these costumes and armor and it totally paid off. The behind the scenes and production of those movies, there's there's a lot of behind the scenes books about them, production guides, like deep dives on the weaponry, um, the the costuming, the special effects, like it really transformed my view of how things were made. Like I would sit there and read about how they like were making hobbit feet and elf ears, but the elf ears were made of gelatin so that they would only last for a couple like one use because otherwise they would melt. And oh the hobbit God. feet would they like because of the edges that they were blending into their own feet would only last for like two or three uses. So they were like they were making feet constantly and they were just all strewn about the weta workshop and just like learning that the amount of time and passion and the man hours and the people that were so passionate about making these films and doing it to the point where the world was so immersive for the audience it's like the behind the scenes of lord of the rings is just as important to me as the lord of the rings films itself it's one of those that really justified the dvd extra features which is starting to become a lost art now that we're oh, moving yeah. into digitalized yeah. stuff and streaming. I really do miss behind the behind the scenes featurettes like this. Yeah, one of my favorites was for Revenge of the Sith. They had um, they had an hour long behind the scenes but, uh, special features where they showed you everything that went into the making of one minute in the fight in Mustafar between Obi Wan and Anakin. Like one minute in that scene. They break down all the elements that had to go into making that scene. And I, I love shit like that. I will. I love that stuff sometimes even more than the movies like Revenge of the Sith. I love that hour long thing. <laughs> there is there's something that I think holds up really well in terms of the special effects is how they uh, the force perspective making it yeah. seem like Elijah Wood is is so like tiny compared to Gandalf, <gasps> which I, I think is really interesting. It's not always like digitally shrunk down it's like we're gonna place ian mckellen here we're gonna place elijah wood over here so it looks like they're right next to each other but actually he's just closer to the camera so he looks bigger there's a really great behind the scenes shot of um the cart that they ride together and it's if you look at it from a different angle showing how they they state or they built the cart to make the that staging look and then but also some of it, like they had size doubles too, yes. um, which were just just as important um, to the filming. Um, I, f- I forget the name of the Hobbit size doubles, but they were super important. And then, thankfully, the um, the height difference between John Rhys Davies, who played Gimli, and the Hobbits worked so that when they did that composite shot of them standing together for the Fellowship of the Ring at the Council of Elrond, they only had to do one plate shot with the Hobbits and, and um, Gimli, and then a one plate shot with the humans and Elf and uh, Gandalf. That shot was so cool, but kind of funny at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you just It really sells the fact that like, oh, this yeah. is your family for the next two for the next two months or so. And it's uh it's like a family portrait. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really they don't dwell on a lot of those those shots. I was trying to like really be careful and see, okay, that's definitely not Elijah Wood. That's that's the um size double. Uh, and they don't linger on it for that long, but there's one there's one person that I think did a lot of work as a size double, but didn't really get the proper recognition. Uh, his name is Brett Beatty, 
Brett Beatty was the size double for Gimli. Because Jonathan, what's his name? John. Uh, John Reese Davies. John Reese Davies was like 6'1 in real life. Wait, wait. Mm-hmm. The, the actor for Gimli? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a large man. 6'1. 6'1. 6'1. Also, fun fact he was allergic to the facial yes! prosthetics he had to wear to be a dwarf. He's allergic <laughs> to the facial prosthetics. So, this, uh, the size double, Brett Beatty. He had to wear all that stuff and he had to do all of the fight scenes pretty much. You know, you can't really tell because he's got that helmet on. He's got that big old beard and stuff. And a fake nose too, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And he never really acted before. Uh, and the the time it took to put all those prosthetics on, there was a rule about how much the how long they could wear the masks on in one day or at a time. For most people, it was an hour. But for him... He'd have it on for 12 hours. And there was an instance where he's like um, switching positions with the axe. Like he bonks himself on the face with the axe and it opens a, a cut. But since he's wearing the, the prosthetics that there's nowhere for the blood to go. <laughs> so it just like swells up in his prosthetic and then it like bursts open. And then he's like, it looks a lot worse than it actually was. Which which is something that like these work workhorse stunt stunt actors say. Uh, yeah. He was he was so involved with the filming that at the end they all got all, the fellowship actors they got a tattoo, right? Except mm-hmm. for Davies, Davies did not get one. Do you know who did? Brett oh. Beatty, he got the tattoo instead. Really? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. didn't? The actor get it. I only I only see that he said, "Oh, I have my stunt stunt double do all the dangerous stuff." That's that's the only quote I see from him, saying why he didn't want to do it. But it it felt like he was a he was gamely more than the actual actor, aside from like his voice and some of the close ups. Damn! Shout out to that guy. Yeah, and uh, he did not get the the proper credit. I don't think. He was only credited as a size double when they wanted to do uh, stunt double and photography double uh, and all this other stuff. But he doesn't have any like grievances about it. He's just like, oh, I'm just happy to be there. I'm happy to have that experience. Wish I could have hung out with them more. But I'm, I'm a simple man. I'm going to go back to my farm. Just crazy. That's one of the things that's when I say like the behind the scenes of the production, like the way that the people, the crew and the cast that worked on it talk about it and how like they became a family, which seems like so cliche to say, like mm-hmm. anyone that works on a film set together, like we're a family, but like they spent like three to five years together yeah. down in New Zealand. And like, this is like pre cell phones, pre not pre internet, but like early days of the internet so like this wasn't like oh you were still like chatting with your best friends back home every day it's like you moved to the other side of the the world and you built this new family and there's such this strong camaraderie and i I think that's also why the the chemistry between the fellowship is so great because they had such an incredible bond behind the scenes too yeah Yeah. it definitely feels like all these characters actually get along with each other like they have a certain level of chemistry with each other um, it might be due to that as well. I mean, spending that long with people, fuck. The actual actors, there's a quote I have um, about the tattoo thing. I remember Elijah Wood actually approached me first and invited me. 
And to tell you the truth, my biggest concern at the time was, was John Reese Davies. I knew that this wasn't supposed to be for me to be asked to get this tattoo. So I said I had to think about it, BD explains, adding that he relented when Vigo Mortensen and Orlando Bloom asked him again the following day. And this article even has a picture of him getting the tattoo there and back again. And he's holding Orlando Bloom's hand. Oh, yeah, that that's that's sweet, man. Yeah. And yeah. it kind of makes me wonder, like. Why didn't this guy just play Gimli in the first place? <laughs> well, right? OK, well, OK, I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what he sounds well, like. He's not I an actor, say- but there wasn't there was not an incentive to hire little people to be in this movie. Uh, yeah. There's a quote uh, in The Guardian from Peter Jackson. This was this is old. You can tell that this is an old article because of what he says. So they're asked about how do you how do you find a hobbit that can act his furry feet off? And he says, well, we've thought about that a lot. We still have tests to do, but the hobbits are the principal characters. If you study Tolkien's descriptions of them, they are really described as small people between three and a half to four foot tall. And they're not strange in any other way other than these large hairy feet. I know casting authentic little people is the way that some people have thought will go about it, but it just doesn't fit what Tolkien wrote. So we are casting normal size actors and using prosthetics, computer tricks, and other less complicated trickery to reduce them in size. I don't, I certainly don't want to use puppets or CGI characters because this is a story about real people. Hmm. I mean, it hasn't aged well. <laughs> um, so so yeah. are little people not real people? <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> it's definitely something you couldn't get away with no, today. people would be on his ass which i mean rightly so um yeah and it, it reminds it, me of the when we covered willy wonka how one of the the oompa loompas was talking about how the industry had changed and there was suddenly work for little people and now with cgi and stuff you they're kind of being replaced well i mean that's what happened that's what happened in charlie and the chocolate factory yeah so that's that's like one thing that that doesn't hold up very well i think is you're you're taking away a role from a little person who will oftentimes not be seen as anything more than than that. You know what I mean? Well, that comment, uh, this movie's about real people. It just a very unnecessary, man. Like, like I know he was talking about the CGI and puppets and stuff, yes. but it comes across as saying that little people are not real people. Um, what was it that little people weren't in Tolkien's vision? Like, yeah. what was it about his writing that made you not think of little people when you say that they're three to four feet tall? It is tough. And I was going to say this about Gimli, too, because you said, why not just hire the stunt guy to be Gimli? To which I say. The actors, all the actors do really good. They're they're really good. They're so good. They all do a, a good job. Like for the longest time, I didn't know. I couldn't remember Gimli's name, but I always knew his attitude and his persona and that voice. And it's one of those details where you, I mean, I didn't know about him. Um, and I wish that Brett, right? Brett, Brett, had gotten more rec- yeah, Brett Beatty had gotten more recognition. I, I will say Gimli, the actor for Gimli did a great job. Um, he definitely, every one of these main characters has a presence or they have like a, a quick personality trait that you could attach to them and, or like a, like an archetype and you kind of get where they're all coming from. 
and these actors all embody um that archetype really really well um I, same goes for elijah wood and the hobbits um do i wish that maybe they had been they would have considered little people more absolutely in the end of the day i think the film that we got with these actors it still holds up really well oh like yes old, it's elijah wood does a great job of showing that naive kind of mm -hmm. youthful energy and by the end this dude just wants he looks like he just wants to fucking die <laughs> there's there, that, there's that scene oh, where yeah. he, he just kind of stops talking yeah <laughs> and he just looks depressed and there's that scene where he's just like staring out into the river and he's just like thinking about what galadriel said right before he like gets the gusto to like push the, the boat out he just looks like man fuck me Fuck me, fuck <laughs> this whole thing. I hate this. He gives the ring to, he tries to give the ring to multiple people. Um, and Elijah Wood sells it. He sells that performance really well. So, yeah, he's, he's a, it's, he's a great actor, but I think we, we don't really consider the, the little people that can also give performances. Like we've all seen Game of Thrones. We've all seen Peter Dinklage do, 100%. do, do Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion Lannister. So excited for Serrano. Side note. Cyrano? Cyrano? Oh, yeah, yeah, He's yeah. got a movie coming out later this mm -hmm. year that is also a musical, and it looks fucking phenomenal. Yeah. And and then they, they kind of doubled down with, with this path with the Hobbit movies. Like, all those actors were, were I, I believe the, the term is typically sized, you know, mm. and with with mm. uh, little people as body doubles, you know? I don't know. Yeah. It's just something that I, I think maybe we can learn from I, I i would hope that the film industry learns from because there are some really talented little people actors too and you Absolutely. don't you don't need to do all these tricks with the new amazon series coming out i wonder if that's a route they might take in casting choices i would hope so um, since they've been a little cagey about who's well they've said who's playing what characters but not what the scope of the entire storyline is really mm -hmm. since it's really under wraps until they show us what the first season, but they have the option to kind of make that choice to include little people into those roles. I'm definitely curious to see how they'll kind of handle that because I, I personally can't see Amazon committing entirely to that vision, you know, of casting. Uh, no, I don't expect I, that out of Amazon either. They already yeah, spent 300 million just on one season. So yeah, I can't. I don't know. Yeah, and now they're moving production to the UK, and I'm still so <laughs> happy about that. That's yeah, that's a weird thing. New Zealand thing. is Middle Earth. Why do they do that? <laughs> I think it has to do with the COVID situation too. Um, the rules are a little bit more lax in the UK, and allowing since you can't have your crew and your cast flying back and forth to see their family, it's a little bit easier to have them in the UK. Plus, my assumption is that they've got a lot of shots in the can, of big, wide, sweeping shots. And so maybe season two is more focused on sets or like more of a character story. Because that's the other thing. They So part of this production is that the agreement is that they would put a billion dollars into the production. They spent $250 million on the rights already. They did $300 million on the first season. But they haven't said if it's going to be... And, the agreement is it would be five seasons, but they haven't said if each season is like its own miniseries telling a story within the world of Middle Earth because there's so much history and story to tell or if it's going to be five seasons of the same storyline. 
So it could just be a whole different story and them choosing a different setting is a choice because they're going to have different actors and different characters. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, like I said, they've been really quiet about all the details of it. (laughs) Yeah. So wait, so is so this Amazon show is about the Salmarillion? Um, so it is about the Second Age. One of the first teasers they showed um was a map with an island on it. I want to say named Numenor, but that island fell into the sea during the Third Age. So it only exists in the Second Age. Ooh. And then when they were talking about the teaser, almost I guess, but like what Amazon Studios was saying they said uh we'll take viewers back to an era in which great powers were forged kingdoms rose to glory and fell to ruin from the darkest depths of the misty mountains to the majestic forests of the elf capital of linden to the breathtaking island kingdom of numenor to the farthest reaches of the map so my understanding of that is that we might get to see moria in its height in all its dwarven splendor and stuff like that again personal interpretation no, uh, they haven't confirmed any of that, but that was just uh, what I took from their announcement because they have been so cagey on the details of it so far. So this is this this does take place before the trilogy. Yeah, it's before the story of Lord of the Rings. It's in a whole different age. Okay. So again, I know I said don't read the Silmarillion, but maybe if you want any backstory, you might have to read the Silmarillion. There might be Man. enough backstory in the prologue of the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm fine. I'll take that over reading, man. It's <laughs> like I, it's not for me. I not well, like Tolkien specifically is just not for me. I can't. He's a very wordy man. I love these stories, but he will take three pages to describe a tree, and no one really needs I that. And, and you're not even exaggerating. I remember reading the same page over and over again. I'm like, this can't all just be about this tree, right? And it is. Mm-hmm. And I never picked up the book again. <laughs> I never. <laughs> you lost you, man. I wanted to talk about real quick um, how, because th- this movie was in development hell for a few years. Um, this was, yeah, this was, so I didn't get too into depth into it, but this movie was under Miramax or I think they were pitching it to Miramax and to the Weinstein brothers. Mm -hmm. The reason it was so in development hell for a long time was because Disney owned Miramax and they did not want to fork up the cash to make this the right way, the proper way. I think they, the Miramax guys brought on uh, Peter, say George Lucas, Peter Jackson, <laughs> and he kind of pitched the story the way he wanted to. And Harvey Weinstein was actually the middle guy between Disney and Peter Jackson. And he was, it said that he was really like trying to ble- please both parties. He didn't want to upset Disney and he would get angry at Peter and shout at him and tell him that the movie had to be, it, it, he could only tell the Lord of the Rings story in one movie that was two and a half hours long. Can you fucking imagine that? Absolutely not. Nine hours is what we have right now. And taking all that and putting it into two and a half hours. There is no way. You can't have like a group get together and then break up and then still have to watch two hours of the movie. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the two towers in the Battle of Helm's Deep, there's that one kind of lead orc who's a little rough looking. Mm-hmm. supposedly that's harvey weinstein because peter jackson <gasps> did not like him <laughs> i think i read that earlier this year i think in prep because <laughs> the, the anniversary is coming up and i think more and more stories have been coming out about it i think there were pictures of that 
orc next to Harvey <laughs> Weinstein. It, it matches. Oh my God. Uh, Nothing officially confirmed, but that's the speculation. Yeah. I mean, you can say that now and then you'll, you'll, have, you'll go viral. Yeah. yeah everyone will agree. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. Get him. Get him. Get him a, a body, body bag. bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that I thought was really interesting was, um, so there's that story about Weinstein. And then there's Sean Connery, who was reading for the part of Gandalf, no. I believe. Um, <laughs> no. I, I believe. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing that in my head now. It's just no. I agree. No. Yeah, so apparently Sean Connery said no to Gandalf, and so did Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, which I love Daniel Day, um, but I'm so glad that Ian McKellen got it. But something that's really funny, and I spoke to Chris about this. Chris has been on the show before. Um, he was here for our Toy Story episode, and I spoke to him a while ago. We were talking about Sean Connery's career and how I originally said that he quit acting because The League of Extraordinary, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was such a horrible film. That's what I thought, too. Well, Chris actually proposed it a little differently. He said, no, I don't think he did it because of that. He thinks he quit acting because it got to a certain point where just Sean Connery didn't know what was going to be a hit or not. He said no to Star Wars, which obviously became Star Wars. He said no. The They pitched him the script, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And he's like, well, I don't get it. But all those other movies that I rejected became hits. So fuck it. I'll take it. And it turns out it's a massive flop. And he said, fuck it, I'm leaving. Because he just didn't get it. There's this article that literally has the quote that says, apparently, um, so Sean Connery was reading for the part. He read the script, he read the material, and just didn't get it. So in, so I could, it kind of sh- confirms what Chris was saying, that it got to the point where all these franchises and IPs were being pushed out and they were offering roles to Sean Connery. And he kept missing that. He kept passing them because he just didn't get it. And the one franchise that he did give a chance fell fucking flat. I think that's kind of funny. I just, <laughs> I could just imagine Sean Carney just being like, "Wow, this shit, I, I don't, I don't get it." And just walking away. That's a terrible accent, by the way. But we've already established this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's really funny that this man has had chances to play in some of the biggest franchises of all time and he never did because he just didn't get it i think that's kind of funny personally patrick stewart also turned down the role of gandalf really Mm-hmm. oh i i mean i i, I like ian mckellen he's the best um, oh yeah oh yeah he is the perfect gandalf acting <laughs> <laughs> i i do kind of wish i had heard sean connery deliver some of the lines um just, uh, you know, the, the, the famous Gandalf quote, the one where it's, um, y- you know, the quote, the, the one that everyone recites. You shall not pass. No, no, no. The um, <laughs> all right, hold up. It's the it's the one that he tells Frodo, like, I wish the ring had never come to me. Oh, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given God, to us. You, you need Damn. that memorized or are you reading it from? No, I did have that nice. one in my notes because that was my favorite That's quote. That's such a great <laughs> quote. That no, is a, great, a quote. great quote. It is. I, I, I just wish I'd heard Sean Connery say that in that accent. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm fetishizing it, but I just I wish I had heard it. But I don't know. Takeaway is Ian McKellen is still the best Gandalf. And he oh, yeah. is the only Gandalf in my eyes. And you know what? I think he's the best Magneto, too. Yeah. Oh, I like Mac- Michael Fassbender, but too much iron in your blood. 
Yeah, they're X two is really just so fucking good. I love it. Who? X two. X two. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's my favorite X Men movie out of all yes, of them. Same. Yeah, hundred percent. I will say, I I have the feeling that Warner Brothers is eventually going to reboot Lord of the Rings along with Harry Potter. I don't think that they can. Right? Didn't Amazon buy the rights? Well, so that's the other thing why it's a little bit fuzzy. They didn't say which rights they purchased. Mm. So the Warner Brothers and New Line own the rights to the four original books, the trilogy and the Hobbit, which is actually how they were initially planning to extend the Hobbit into three books or three movies, I should say. They were going to take the information from the appendices at the end of Return of the King and talk about the 60 years between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings books. Obviously, they did not do that. I'm still a little salty about <laughs> it because really that third movie was so bad. But Peter Jackson did some video a few years back, or maybe more than a few at this point. The concept of linear time is not great for me these days. Um, but he had some he had some uh, binders on the shelf behind him <laughs> that said the Sil the Silmarillion Part One and Two. And it was like, it was a kind of an Easter egg. I remember it was like, oh my God, is he doing it? It's like, is this happening? Oh my God. But they weren't able to acquire the rights because Christopher Tolkien did not like the Lord of the Rings series. Wait, the- And so he would not- The movies? Yeah. He didn't like them. And so he wouldn't sell the rights to any of the other books to Peter Jackson and Warner Brothers. So the fact that Amazon is doing- a series based on the second age, which most likely is pulling its material out of the Silmarillion, has made people wonder if they got the rights to the Silmarillion and that's where all of their storylines will be for this miniseries? Or did they also did they get the rights to everything? Did they get the trilogy and the Hobbit and the Silmarillion and Children of Huron and um Unfinished Tales and stuff like that? Because there's so many other things because Christopher Tolkien took over as his um, father's editor following his death. And so he took all of the notes and things that had never been officially published and edited them into things that were able to be published afterwards. So there's a lot more content. Like the world of Middle Earth in book form is incredibly fleshed out. I mean, Tolkien wrote, wrote like languages, like two different dialects of Elvish, you know, the black script, the dwarven languages, like it's incredibly detailed. And so like the fact that Amazon's being so cagey about what rights they got and what storylines they're going to tell leaves a lot of it up in the air still. Hmm. When I watched that, that Tolkien movie, I think one of the things that I, that really hurt it was not having the music and the imagery of these movies though. Right. So I, it's going to be really weird watching an Amazon show called Lord of the Rings, whatever something, and not hearing the do, 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 do. That's true. I didn't even think of that. And the music is very important to me. It's so important. Because I, I am going into the Amazon series optimistically. I, I want it to be good. I want to, anytime I am viewing Middle Earth, I feel at home. And I want that same feeling when I watch this new series. So now that you've pointed out that they're, they may not have the same musical theme. So I'm like, mm, <laughs> this might not be the same. It's Whoa. it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Like it's gonna have the the name and the title, but like I don't know. It's gonna be weird. You know, I mean, we'll, we will just find out when it comes out in 2023. I think. 
I think that's when they've said or 2023 2024. It's not coming out anytime. Wait, soon. the Amazon series? Yeah, it's I don't think it's coming out in 20 No, it's coming out September 2022. Ooh. Is it? Yeah, no, it's September of next year. They when they dropped a um a picture and they said that uh the world will be open in September of 2022. They haven't dropped any teasers so far. The only thing they've dropped is the cast list of the main cast and then that picture. And when that picture came out, everyone took a very critical eye at it. It was like, <laughs> where are they? In what part of Middle Earth? What details are in here? Shit. Um, okay. And so there's a little bit more speculation around that. But yeah, no, it's September of next year. Oh, damn. All right. Well, th- it's around the corner then. Less than a year. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Do you want to move on to our quotes? Yeah, man. I'm, I, yeah, I got some, I got some. I got some good ones, I feel. So this is the part of the episode where instead of giving the film a review, a numerical review, we talk about a quote that best summarizes how we feel about the movie. It could also be, maybe just our favorite quote. George, would Mm -hmm. you like to go first? Yeah, I'd like to tell my two. (laughs) (laughs) Always, always with two, this boy. When it's... when it's a banger, you just gotta go all in, man. That's you okay. just gotta. It's oh, it's fine. It is, you know. But okay, so my favorite quote from the movie, in terms of just ex- level of excitement and like scene, is from Arwen when she's um when she's riding away or when she's being chased by the rates mm-hmm. by the yeah the rates, um and she's in the river and she's like, if you want him, come and claim him. That scene <laughs> so good. is so fucking bad ass it's funny the two my two favorite quotes from this entire franchise are from women it's if you want them come and claim them and, hell yeah and, and return of the king oh yeah i am no man i remember seeing so that in theaters and everyone in the theater lost their goddamn mind <laughs> at that line and as a kid i was like that's some badass shit right there those are the, my two that. favorite quotes in the entire franchise the ones that i'll always remember in the previous movie, that character, what's her name? Eowyn? Yeah, she's like pining after Aragon, and it's like, uh-uh, that's Liv Tyler's property. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then and then the third one, she's like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in this war then. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kill the, the Witch King. Something Aragon couldn't even do. I love that for her. Yeah, man. Just like just like this one, like this scene was so cool. It's just someone who's looking death straight in the eyes, like, come get me, bitch. <laughs> It's so cool. Ah, uh, it, it's 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 that thing. It's that moment where you kind of just lose like sense of where you're at. And like, yeah. <laughs> um, that's my quote. Like my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite quote is from Gladriel, and she says, "Even the smallest person can change the course of the future." She's saying this to Frodo, and I kind of related this to Peter Jackson in a way. He's not a, I'm not trying to say he's a small person, but he's a guy from New Zealand who was making really, really independent, kind of shitty, low budget films. You know, I mean, Dead Alive is Dead great. Al- Dead, no, no, Dead Alive <laughs> is great. Dead Alive is amazing, but it's campy as fuck. It's, it's a little janky. Janky is a better word. Yeah. But he comes from this part of the world. He's making these little budget films and he went on to make one of the greatest trilogies of movie trilogies of all time. And mm-hmm. they hold up amazing well. And I mean, kind of like the Matrix and this and Star Wars, like 
this movie changed an industry and we 20 years later we have not gotten over this original trilogy so much so that they're making a new season and we're even wondering if that new season that new show is going to even come close to as good as this so i that's for you peter all right it's a good quote my quote uh comes from when they're on that those mountains right before they go into the mines of uh Moria. Moria. Yeah. Uh, so when all the snow is yeah, happening. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere around there. And Frodo turns to Gandalf and is like, hey, what's what's wrong? And Gandalf says, there are many powers in this world for good and for evil. Some are greater than my own. And against others, I have yet to be tested. And it's just, for for Frodo, Gandalf is like the coolest thing ever. Right? And he's going on this, this um adventure and when when he asks him is everything going to be okay and gandalf says this god damn you have no idea what's in what's ahead for you frodo Ugh. and it's right before a bunch of crazy shit starts happening right before gandalf dies right before boromir dies and the fellowship is broken before like in the sequels he has to fight that giant spider and ugh. it really sets the tone of just the dangers in this world mm-hmm. that he, even Gandalf is afraid and he's fucking Gandalf great quote dude uh well I kind of said my quote earlier you can say it again it's great I, I really okay uh when Frodo says I wish the ring had never come to me I wish none of this had happened um and Gandalf answers and I feel like this is such a good just piece of advice especially for the time we're in right now and it's so do all who live to see such times but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. As we we don't really get to choose the life or the time that we live in. And in the chaotic times we are living in, that's something to keep in mind. We can only control what we do and kind of the outcomes that we can have control over in our life and hopefully choose forces for good. Beautiful. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of... Uh of Harry Potter, right? I remember someone was talking about Harry Potter and saying like, um, one of the biggest themes of that movie or that franchise is kind of, um, not doing the easy thing, but doing the right thing. And I really feel that in this movie as well. And I think that quote does a pretty great job of saying like, we, we could only control what we have to. So it's our responsibilities. We, we have, we have the choice to make these things better. And Frodo constantly makes that choice. What a champ. What a trooper. What a trooper. I would have tossed that ring over the fucking uh, waterfall. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have two quotes. Because there's there's one that just makes me laugh so much. It's when uh, Samwise is leaving the Shire. And he, and he stops and he goes, if I take one more step. I'll be farther away from home than I've ever been before. And then Frodo's like, come on, Sam. And then he starts going. There's a YouTube edit. Oh, my God. (laughs) Fuck, I know what you're talking about. There's there's a YouTube edit, 14 hours long, I think, of every time Samwise takes a step, it plays that scene over again. (laughs) I don't know who who does these things. Like, this isn't the only, like, weird, randomly long edit on YouTube. But... I don't know. Every time I, I hear that now, it, it makes me laugh. I mean, there's there's a lot of great internet videos that have come out of Lord of the Rings. Uh, they're taking the Hobbit's yes. eyes and they're doing oh. <laughs> the best. 
there's a line from that uh, that song in the first movie, Tell Me Where Is Gandalf, very much desired to speak <laughs> with him. And when they, they said that in the movie, I heard it, the like intonation of the song uh, in my head. It. I was like, yeah. Tell me where is Gandalf, but I much desire to speak with Let's him. Let's go, break it down. Love it. <laughs> Something we didn't talk about that has, I think, helped age this movie a little bit better are all the memes that came oh, from Oh, yes. It. One does not simply all... walk into Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> and you shall not pass. All right, then. Oh. Keep your secrets. So good. <laughs> <laughs> After all, why shouldn't I keep it? <laughs> oh, my God. The, the one with uh, the one with Bilbo, his, his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. You know what? All those, all those memers recognize its greatness. No, no, no. And good on them. It's tough making good memes, man. Good quality memes. And watching this movie, I was like, oh, that's a meme. Oh, that's mm-hmm. another meme. <laughs> oh, that's another. It's constantly. God but damn. At the dude. same time, like, that's just a good ass line, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do want to rewatch the, the the next two just to kind of pick up the memes even more. Especially the, they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. Um, banger of a song i love that orlando bloom has seen that video he has yeah <laughs> great fran- great franchise go watch this if you haven't don't be that don't be that person if you haven't seen it just just if you haven't seen it just because it's not interesting just watch it again this it's is great it's a piece like, of like film culture absolutely you know? yeah film history as, as dylan said it the other the other day or the other last episode it's like required viewing yeah you know it's you know, and thank God it's not required reading because I couldn't. You said it would take a few weeks. Yeah, that would take me a year to get through the Lord of Rings. All right, so that about wraps it up for this episode. Um, Becky, where can people find you if you want people to find you? <laughs> I'm on. I am on the internet. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Becky Crowley, B E C K Y K R A L L E. Uh, on Instagram, Lebeck99. Um. I am in the Discord for uh, Retrograde Podcast now, so nice. you can come say hi to me there. I'm on Discord all the time. Um, so yeah, come say hi. Let's talk about Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. You know, it's. I think we have. I think for 2022, we're gonna have to come back, f- like for to make follow up episodes for like the last three episodes we've made because we got to do Mad Max Two with Nebula, Matrix mm-hmm. Reloaded with Dylan, and now Two Towers with Becky again. Oh man, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> The, the whole Trinity. Done. I will. I will pencil you in for next year. Where can they find us, Austin? Where can well, we are on Instagram and Twitter at retrograde underscore pod. We are also on YouTube, uh, retrograde podcast. We have our movie trailer or episode trailers that we post, and some of our long form videos because you know we talk about movies, and sometimes you need a little visual reminder of what we're talking about because sometimes we're very (laughs) long-winded um what else uh we are on facebook as retrograde podcast but i i don't really log into there very much full disclosure it's all automated and we have a discord and if you want to be in our discord just message us on the instagram um or twitter and we'll send you a direct link and you can come hang out one time we had people argue about movies. It was great to, to watch. <laughs> um, so we will be back for a special Christmas episode where we will be covering a one of the many Christmas movies that I have never seen. What was it again? 
<laughs> for a second, I forgot. I was like, what are we watching? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. <gasps> uh, You've never seen It's a Wonderful I've Life? I've never seen a lot of Christmas movies. Wow. That's also just like a classic mm -hmm. film. It is. And I think it's celebrating its 75th anniversary wow. this year. 70 perfect timing. Perfect timing. Um, yeah, I, I've only seen it once and we were, we were watching it through Discord. So I was half paying attention. Um, <laughs> didn't really give it its fair shot. I mean, look, man, if look, I hate watching movies through Discord in a group setting. I, I it, because there's a lag and it's it's not great. It's not ideal. But yeah, we my, the thing it. I don't like about watching movies with people is when they start talking. I'm like, I want to watch the movie. We can talk afterwards. We can talk as much as you want, but please not during. Please, it's just I, it's a me thing. Maybe I don't know. I I felt I thought I was like that, but it turns out I talk with my sister all the time. Like me and her will watch a movie together and we're just talking the whole time. <laughs> it's like, did you know? It depends on the film. Yeah, it does. I I saw Mortal Kombat with um, some coworkers this year. Our boss bought out a theater and we just hackled the, the shit out of that movie. And it was great. No, awesome. <laughs> totally appropriate. I think if you're watching Lord of the Rings though, it's like, mm, you know, maybe we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about it afterwards, you know? No, but, and so that's our next episode. And for our final <laughs> episode, <laughs> and for our final episode, we're going to be doing a kind of year retrospective where we talk about the movies that we have seen in theaters. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're still in a pandemic, but theaters have opened up. We want to talk about the movies we've seen in theaters. Some of them kind of together, some of them apart. Some of them uh, I watched at home during the A24 screening rooms. It'll be a, a fun time just reminiscing about everything, every movie that we've seen this year. And we're definitely going to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home because that's definitely. coming. I'm watching that tomorrow. <gasps> and I mean, Same. we got to talk about <laughs> Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. So, probably gonna talk about the matrix as well because i got my yeah. oh, opening oh, date yes. i'm seeing that christmas day actually that's my christmas present yeah oh we're definitely gonna talk about matrix um definitely spider-man um and a whole bunch of other films that we have seen in theaters so please keep an eye out for that as well and if you made it to the end of the episode thank you i know these these past few episodes have been really long um, so I really appreciate the time you took to listen to us talk about movies. 100%. Thank you very much. All right. We will see you on Christmas. See ya.